Hi everyone and welcome to our uh, Lost of Lost Caverns of Ixalan draft archetype discussion. Um, I'm joined today by uh, Jason ILTG, Zach Kagan and Adam. And we're going to be talking about uh, the new upcoming format and we're going to look at the deck skeletons we built for the purpose. And we are going to use those deck skeletons and some other analyses that we are going to include here uh, to speculate on what the format might look like and maybe prepare you for the pre-release, prepare you for the first days of drafting and um, prepare you for theory crafting yourselves and even give you tools to do so. Uh, before we go to that, uh, since I am going to put it as part of the magic numbers this this time around, um, I'd like to thank um, my patrons and my sponsor for uh, allowing me to continue my Jolly Rumblings. Uh, so thanks for that. And um, did I tell who my sponsor is? Did I say mtgazon.com? Yes, I said mtgazon.com. Good. Uh, let's move on from that part and let's dive directly from what are those skeletons we've been talking about. So basically, skeletons are um, uh, decks we built based on the new set. Um, they are trying to be reasonable or slash realistic. So we have like zero to two rares. Uh, zero to eight uncommons per um, uh, per each deck, and we fill them up with the commons that we think are going to be the most uh, suitable for a particular color combination. Um, and if you are interested in doing them, uh, there is a link here to sealdeck.tech. Sealdeck.tech is the tool that always allowed us to build those skeletons. They're amazing. They're doing it so that uh, building sealed pools is easier for people because um, Arena is notoriously terrible in uh, helping you build your seals. So you can, if you're playing a sealed on Arena, you can export your uh, pool there and build your deck in the software and then maybe copy the deck list uh, back into Arena um, so that uh, it's less painful for you to build them. But because they are fans of us building skeletons, they also provide tool uh, for building skeletons. So they give you like a set of cards from LCI that you can put uh, in your decks, remove them, build the decks like that. So you can play around with that yourselves. We all use them to build our pools and seal deck tech is great. They don't pay us for saying that they are just great. And we are just going to say it for free because that's the kind of people we are. Um, right. Before we go into the actual decks, there's always a couple of things that we talk about the basics of the format. And uh, usually we start with the uh, removal. How is it aligning in this format? Um, and this set is pretty weird, I have to say. There is not so much damage-based removal as we have been used to in the previous sets. Actually, there is much less removal in total. Um, I think that when I was doing my removal analysis for the Wilds of Real Drain, I counted roughly 52 cards that were somehow removal or tempo removal or counter spells. Um, in this set, I only found 40 cards, and that was already pushing it quite a lot uh, to find to find some of them that I could theoretically classify as removal. Um, also, there is, for example, there is not, no specific spell that will deal with X1s uh, on a one-to-one -one basis. Uh, there's only Tectonic Hazard, which is a sort of mini, 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 very mini micro sweeper, maybe. Uh, just deals one damage to each opponent and each creature they control uh, for one mana. Um, it also is not particularly amazing. It only deals with 17% of the common creatures, so there's not so many X1s. Mind you, there are plenty of things that make 1-1 tokens, so uh, uh, Tectonic Hazard will deal with those things, but... Uh, 
still don't think it's a playable card uh, uh, for that reason. Uh, there's quite some few uncommons that are actually one toughness, which is um, a bit surprising, 23%. But 70% is much less than, uh, than in WoW. It was 25, uh, for example. Then we have two damage uh, spells. Deadweight is a great example. Deadweight is... I think it's a good set for it because it's a permanent removal, which means that it will trigger your descent, descended, descending, whatever whatever variant of fathomless descending. Um, any variant of descent you will choose, it will trigger it. It does hit 50% of common creatures and 40, 40 uncommons or 29% of rares. 50% of commons is roughly par for the course um, um, for the recent sets. So there's actually quite a large amount of um, X2s in this in this format. So that uh, way it looks to be pretty decent. Weirdly, we don't really have a two damage spell in red at common. We have one at uh, uncommon. Uh, so uh, there is no shock variant. Um, so there's not so much that deals with X2s really, really in, the, in this set. Even weirder, there is no strictly deals free spell in any of the colors. There is a rare trumpeting Carnosaur, 6 mana, 7, 6. You can sort of channel it um, to deal free damage to target creature. Uh, there is a Braid, but a Braid is actually a highly upgraded version of a free damage spell because it also can deal with the bigger artifact creatures that are here. Um, so it will hit roughly 10% more of the stuff than the free damage spell would hit. Uh, anyway, three damage is enough to deal with 72% of the common creatures, 60% of the uncommons, and 50% of uh, rares. This is also relatively good in terms of uh, how much it deals with. Um, then we got four damage spells. Again, not a great selection of those in the format. Um, there is Cosmium Blast, which, uh, which uh, is... Yet another variant of Divine Arrow with a different name that will never be able to be reprinted anywhere else ever again. So, um, because Cosmium is specific for this set, I guess. Um, so this one hits 83% of common creatures. This is actually very little. And this means that there is quite a large fraction of common creatures that have toughness greater than four. Uh, I think the largest fraction of creatures like that that we've seen in the any of the recent sets. So there is there is some big stuff uh, going on in this. And also there is not so much removal. Um, then we have Join the Dead. That's uh, one black black for an instant. It gives target creature minus five, minus five until end of turn. And if you have four or more permanents in your graveyard, it gives it minus 10, minus 10. In its basic version, it's good enough. It kills like 93% of all the creatures um, uh, at common and uncommon and 82% of the ones at rare, so still, it doesn't deal with 20% of the uh, of the rares. And the upgraded version, it kills everything except for Galta. Uh, so, you know, um, hopefully hopefully uh, you won't be seeing Galta on the opposing side. And if you do, well, then you won't be able to deal with the Join the Dead, that's for sure. Um, and then there's a weird one, Runaway Boulder. Uh, that's a flash artifact for six that um, when it EDBs, it deals six damage to target creature and opponent controls. It also has cycling, which, I don't know, I think it will be reluctantly playable sometimes because, yes, it's six mana, but it is suitable for any color. It can trigger, um, it can trigger the uh, descending easily by cycling it. And it also can be a piece of cardboard on the board uh, after it's 
fulfilled its use. So maybe, you know, in some like controlling version of white bread uh, that wants to tap things to get some kind of effect, it's going to be actually playable. And it deals with like 95% of the stuff. So uh, it actually is quite efficient in how much it targets, uh, if not very efficient on mana, because six mana is a lot. Uh, but maybe if you have some ramping, that can be actually useful. And even weirder, there is very little conditional removal. So um, we have a break, and that deals with around 80% of um, commons, 75% uncommons, and around 60% of rares, which is a lot. It's much more than the three damage spell would do. So you see, three damage spell would only deal 47% of the rares. This one gets you additional 10 percentage point uh, upgrade for uh, for what it does because it can kill artifact creatures. And of course, it can also deal with uh, non-creature artifacts if uh, if you have a need to, to, to deal with that. There are a couple of them that will definitely be a good target for a break. Mm, what else? And that's more or less it. There is no nothing in the set that kills things with toughness for a breaker or power for a greater. That we are used to having at least one of those. There is no black removal that deals with creatures with mana value three or less or two or less, you name it. Um, uh, there is nothing like that, which is also a bit surprising. So yeah, a bit weird removal uh, that is not as abundant as usually. Um, and quite a lot of it is actually sweepers or mini sweepers, which is even stranger. Um, I picked also Over the Edge, but there are a couple of other spells that do that. Um, uh, and this basically shows you how many artifact creatures are in the format. It's around 22% of the commons, 23% of the uncommons, and 12% of the rares. I think that all the mythics are non-artifact, but there are several rare um, uh, artifact creatures. So Over the Edge can deal with that. This is definitely not good enough to be played in the main deck, but... I think Over the Edge might see some play in decks that really, really care about exploring. Um, because there you have something that can explore twice. This card has the second option that we can explore twice. Um, and on occasions it will kill something, um, it will kill something, um, uh, that opponent has. I guess it will be, you know, more useful in best of three when you can actually know that uh, the opponent has uh, something that is worth killing with that. Um, then there are sweepers. Uh, I think that um, Unstable Glyph Glif Bridge, that's a very good sweeper. It's a five mana. Uh, when it ETBs, if you cast it, um, you choose a creature with power two or less for each player. And the important thing here is that you actually choose for the opponent as well. And these two, the, the, the creatures that you selected survive, the rest dies. So you can keep like a good 2-2 two, two for yourself, uh, or even a 2-3, uh, a pathetic 1-1 one, one for the opponent, and then um, um, and then kill the rest. And also it has craft, so for 5 mana I can flip it into a 5-3 flyer, uh, and whenever an opponent casts a spell, they cannot attack you, and whenever they attack you, they cannot cast spells on their turn. So uh, uh, they can either attack or cast spells, um, which probably means that Straight after, they will be casting spells because they wouldn't have anything to attack with after the Glyph Bridge wiped their board. Um, but also, like, a 5-3 Flyer uh, will kill them relatively quickly if it's not being treated with. So, um, yeah, it looks like a really, really strong card. Um, there is Calamitous Caven. That's uh, 4 mana, deals X damage to each creature and each Planeswalker where X is the number of caves. Caves are the new subtype of lands. Um remains to be seen if there is a cave deck and uh, also remains to be seen if that if there is a cave deck 
is it going to be interested in playing Calamitous Caven? Uh, you remember the Gates payoff, uh, Gates Ablaze was costing one less mana and had a very good uh, synergy with a creature that was always bigger than the uh, amount of damage it dealt uh, in the uh, in the whatever the goat thing was, something, something ram. Um, and that was a neat combo because you could play the ram, wipe the board with your uh, gates, um, and then uh, proceed with uh, beating down with the ram. Here, I don't think we have anything like this, so it's going to be pretty tricky. Also, Caves are not as good in mana fixing um, um, as the uh, as the gates were because they are strictly monocolored. Um, so I don't know if Calamitous Caven is a thing that we'll be playing. Maybe you know once every hundred drafts you're gonna get into a cave deck. Who knows? Uh, then I mentioned Tectonic Hazard. Looks like it's not gonna be playable, but possibly a decent sideboard card in best of three. And then Terror Tide. Now this one is actually interesting. Uh, four mana. Um, Sorcery, all creatures get minus X, minus X until end of turn, where X is the number of permanent cards in your graveyard. This is something that um, will probably make a deck, and you can probably make some kind of a, a descent deck that is built around control, and then Terror Tide is going to be a great card in that deck. Uh, it looks it looks like it's going to be easily like minus 5, minus 5, minus 6, minus 6, which was as good enough as, as, as being a rat. Um, so maybe maybe some kind of a deck with Terror Tide and, and some top end uh, is going to be neat. Yeah. And what else we have? Malicious Eclipse. That's a one black black. A sorcery, all creatures get minus two, minus two until end of turn. And you exile the ones that die uh, this turn. So sort of a technology against go white aggro. Uh, potentially either sideboard or you need a deck that is really afraid of playing against uh, Go White Aggro to the extent that they are willing to have a dead card against other decks. And, and also like the minus two, minus two, uh, exiles. So, uh, you sort of counter some of the, uh, descent strategies, I guess. Right. These are the sweepers. Uh, I told you that the creature sizing is a bit off. Here I have the, sizing of the creatures by by uh, by how much toughness they have from uh, sets since Midnight Hunt. And one thing you see, uh, one toughness creatures are at lowest um, since Midnight Hunt, only 17% at common. Um, then we have quite a lot of two drops, uh, X2s, that's uh, 33%, only Midnight Hunt had more of those. Uh, and that's that's quite a lot more than, for example, uh, Lord of the Rings had or, um, or uh, Brothers War had. Um, those sets had quite a lot of X ones, and uh, and this one doesn't. So, and when you sum them up, uh, number of X ones and X twos is roughly the same, but they're slightly differently distributed. And what I would say is that one really uh, outlying feature of the set is there is seventeen percent of the creatures with uh, more than four toughness, which is way more than any set in the recent times. Uh, Wilds of Eldraine only had five percent of the common creatures that had um. Uh, more than four toughness. This one has 17. So uh, you're going to see uh, big things. I want to say more frequently, but on the other hand, in the, um, uh, in the, in, in, in the Wild of Eldraine, you saw Hamlet Glutton all the time, uh, and somehow we managed to deal with it most of the time. So yeah. Um, the fact that there are 17% of those doesn't mean that they are going to be very playable. So we have to sort of think if the quantity of those creatures means that they are going to be played or 
does it mean that we will have a lot of unplayable cards that uh, we try to avoid putting in our decks? On the other hand, again, you might see opponents playing them. So, uh, uh, yeah. Jason? Uh, part of that is the land cyclers, right? Like, I mean, you know, obviously a small part, but like, you know, the five land cyclers all have more than four toughness, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's true. Um, but but, but Lord of the Rings also had those, and. Yeah, uh, well, not all of the Lord of the Rings one had more toughness. That's true, because Oliphant was four toughness, and Lorien Revealed was just a spell. Yeah, Mom is more comparable, I think, and that one had. Yeah. yeah, but still, uh, there's there's a lot of those are also on the backside of the craft cards. I counted those in my statistics mm, of creatures yes. because they will become a creature at some stage of the game. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But that's 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 it from me here. Um. I guess it's Adam's uh, children, and by children I mean uh, slides right now. Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll jump in. I will say, it, I, I assume it's, it's dinosaurs that are causing all those those four plus, so a lot of green stuff. Other colors, they don't but, like you know, the, there's, the, there's the four mana two, five, and blue that I think yep. uh, uh, is is you know something. Yeah, add, add some defensive. Best horse, best 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 uh, two five crab uh, that we've seen in, uh, in recent years. Hearing about all like this that. large toughness makes me like the black 1-1 one, one with death touch that mills too when it enters even more. Oh yeah, you'll see those in, in deck shells, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I guess jumping off just a few slides that are just big picture and then Jason will talk about colors and maybe how we can think about those. Um, so if uh, you've played Limited in the last, you know, two to three years or listen to Lords of Limited or anything like that, you know, we have, you know, Cardboard Theory alive and well in this set. You know, there are a lot of cards that are not just putting themselves in play, but adding, you know, some other, you know, piece of cardboard, whether it's a mat token like in, you know, our blue Waterwind Scout, or maybe a fungus in the mycoid, maybe it's just some artifacts with the tote. There, there's one card bringing, you know, two, three, you know, pieces of cardboard with it. Uh, and with that, uh, one is just potentially good because you can use it for different things, but that optionality means maybe you can focus your deck and focus your drafting around sacrificing or crafting with those artifacts or, you know, using that. Um, we don't really have to enter the battlefield triggers like we had with Celebration, but there are leave the battlefield when we talk about Descended for this turn or, you know, Descend, four, eight, or Fathomless. Like getting things into your, into your graveyard for a turn can provide you some benefit. Uh, the question will probably be for the first, you know, couple weeks, like, what do these extra pieces of cardboard add? Is it, you know, a fourth of a card, half of a card, three-fourths of a card? And that's, like, one way to, to maybe think about it, but another way is probably, you know, within a particular color pair, what synergies to maybe unlock, what cards that might be only good in that color pair you might be able to see later in a draft, uh, are you going to be able to get based on, you know, the, the cards you're drafting that add these extra pieces of cardboard that another color pair may not want and may just add more power to your deck through synergies uh, that, that you might not otherwise get. So it's A minus seven or eight or whatever, so it's tough to, to know for sure. But in general, you know, more pieces of cardboard, you know, more better, uh, more or less. Uh, and then I think Jason added or Circle added this good point at the bottom. Uh, even if the cardboard is just, you know, sitting there, there are some cards that say, you know, tap, you know, two artifacts or, you know, one or two permanents and uh, get effect X, whatever it is, like the, the red-white Signpost in common, for example, upon attacks, you can tap, you know, creatures or artifacts, and then you get to discover. 
which is probably a pretty good uh, ability. You know, you're adding some other card, the Battlefielder, to your hand um, that can be real useful. So you can use this cardboard once on the Battlefield in a variety of ways. Uh, and that's probably going to be very color and um, sets of color dependent. Yeah, I, I added that. I, I, I think that, yeah, there's there's quite some few of those things, and there's a couple of things that do something when they become tapped, and then yep. there is some crewing going on also along those lines. So uh, I think that having, like, the Tinker's Toad might be, it might be brainless to sacrifice it and gain life very quickly, but uh, sometimes it just will be much better to keep it on board and just tap it to put plus one, plus one counter on something. Or oh, yeah. tap it to ping someone for one. Um, and I think that this kind of a nickel and dime deck might be a thing if, if it comes together, yeah. if you get the right pieces for it. Yeah. Well, one thing that I guess the, the final point on cardboard and then Jason can jump in is uh, oftentimes when you add a lot of cardboard to the battlefield, as it were, uh, the, the stronger players can find ways to eke out the most out of you know, their cards. You know, it's not just like circus set. You know, you put, you play the tote, you get these two one ones, and then you probably aren't going to spend a, a white mana to sack it into turn to gain for the life. You're going to find something to craft it with or to sack it to the new Deadly Dispute variant to draw some cards or, or tack it with something. Um, and do that maybe one, two, three times before it eventually gets sacked. Yeah, sorry, Jason? Yeah, I don't know. Like, the tote just seems kind of insane to me. Like, you're basically getting two one ones in the food. Uh, except the food, like, you know, costs white to crack instead of two mana, which is probably better. Um... So, yeah, there's just so many things that make, like, random random pieces of cardboard in this set, and, like, uh, there's plenty of ways to use them, so. But I think I put Tote in every single white archetype I had, and most of the time, two of them, two of them because why not? Because they also have so many overarching synergies in, in, in the format, like, in, in white-red, it's giving you this tap abilities that you might want to be used. In, in white-blue, that's an artifact or something, mm-hmm. and... Always, always, there's some use of that. In black, white, it's it's sacrifice for their supreme because it gives three pieces of cardboard for for one card. And that's yeah, it looks like it's gonna be one of the better three drops in the format, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Also, notably, like the one ones, like the artifact creature one mm-hmm. ones, you can just like craft with those. Like, yep. uh, craft has to go with cards in your graveyard or just like permanent like permanent you control um and so like if something says craft with artifact or craft with creature then you can just use one of the one ones and then that doesn't uh get rid of your descend either <laughs> mm. that, that's a good transition to the next slide where we talk about craft a little bit more but you want me to click the next slide i guess yeah sure i mean we'll, we'll be stuck on the slide first all right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so craft predominant because all the cards are artifacts uh and just sky colors are are a little more artifacty, you know, they're, they're housed within those colors. Uh, so, at least on my initial assessment, there's definitely some power in the uncommons and the rares. Uh, the commons, there's probably some ways to, like, leverage, like we said, if you're getting into extra cardboard, you might be able to use some of the commons, and they'll play a little better than you would expect. Um, but you really have to find those, like, micro-synergies, otherwise some of the commons do seem a little underrated, a little kind of meh. Um, but uh, uncommon, some of the uncommon, some of the rares definitely provide um, a lot of power. And then when you craft them, you actually can get a good card in the back. So you're not saying, you know, what am I spending my card on the front of the card or the back of the card? Sometimes each one of those cards is worth at least, you know, three quarters to a full card. So you're getting true, like, good card advantage off of some of this craft. Um, that being said, there are some limitations. So 
then it's crafting at sorcery speed. Um, so you're spending mana on your turn. It, it might mean that you're not able to interact on your opponent's turn effectively, whether it's you know, you're not able to hold up a counter spell or another type of interaction spell to affect whatever they're doing on board. Um, it, it can tie up your mana. And then because there's, it seems like a high enough density of craft, which are all, all artifacts or just other artifacts throughout the set. Uh, I, maybe a question to the group uh, in terms of what they think about um, incidental artifact hate versus potential like main deck and like best of one, not in not in best of three necessarily. They think there's enough strong craft cards or artifact cards to maybe lend itself to to that in the right type of deck uh, versus no, we're, we're still probably not gonna not gonna main deck the artifact hate even in a set where it is somewhat of a focus. Does I guess. Uh, I guess I just wanted to say that maybe let's give Zach the time to oh, shine because sure. Zach is the new addition to the team. I didn't introduce you, by the way. But, That's uh, okay. People thought there was just this like weird guy hanging out <laughs> in the background. Yeah, I'll look today. Yeah. Um, but no, uh, I guess I want to ask, do you know uh, if there is a instant speed disenchant in the set? Like, Are you going to get hosed if you like tap out to craft your thing and then your opponent just goes disenchant, and then you like time walk yourself. So there's a braid. Um, a braid yep. is an instant speed. Oh, that's, yeah. Matter. Okay. Um, so the thing is, you don't get, like, the, you don't get more hosed than you would be by just, you know, for example, with the iceberg, right? You wouldn't get more hosed than you would be by playing a six mana 6-6, six, six, like, normally, sure. right? Than they have with them having a murder up, right? Um, like, there's no way to like interrupt the craft, even if there if the backside has a enters the battlefield ability for some reason, right? Like uh, the ability as part of the cost, you exile the artifact you're crafting with and everything else. And you can you you should usually be crafting like out of your graveyard or with irrelevant things on the battlefield. Like usually you don't want to you know craft your iceberg with like a three three artifacts that you control. Sure. Right? probably not going to be the best trade for you but like um I, I think the better way to think about it is like the the existence of these like large artifact creatures from craft probably does make things like a braid go up in value but it it doesn't necessarily mean that like there it doesn't mean that the artifact creatures are going to be like worse than normal like like Sirius sure. said during the removal section there's like less total removal even in the mm -hmm. set so like but notably things will be better yeah. notably the azorius one the azorius signpost in common the mural when it crafts it's an artifact that taps to make a 4/4 four -four, mm -hmm. right so they'll still have an op uh, there'll still be opportunity, you know, you craft, I think you no, have no, priority. You, you, there is no opportunity because exiling it is a cost. Right, yep. Okay. No, no, yeah, I mean, so, when, so, it when it so you back. pay mana and it disappears, so you have to do it before someone decides yeah, to Yeah, after it comes back, you yeah. have priority, so you can yeah. tap it, and, right. and you can get yeah. the 4-4, four four, no matter, like, whether they have uh, a braid or not. They can have yeah, the 4, four or the, like, 4-4 four four maker, probably, but, like, you know... Yeah, they're easy. probably going to... Hose your your factory, but you still get a four four. So that, yeah, that's yeah. like I feel like you know in that way, like you're more or less happy to craft whenever you have the opportunity to. Yeah. And, and yeah. to answer your well, oh, sorry to answer your question, so there is the deconstruction hammer, the equipment. Yeah. And then so that's like an instant speed along with but that's the heads up. 
Right, yeah, you would be that. aware of that. And then there's the Dusk Rose Reliquary, which is obviously Sorcery Speed, Artifact comes in. It's kind of like the, the Bone Splinters, but it can hit Artifacts as well. And, and don't forget my boy Trashy B, yo. Yeah, yeah, and then there's the Rare, right? That can, like, fizzle uh, or stifle. Uh, oh, yeah, the Merlin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I guess you could use that when they do crash. Oh, I would imagine. Not a- yeah, the, the stifle is actually actually blows you out because, like, yeah. as, as we said, it's part of a, the cost, so you just completely counter it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's but, rare, uh, I think. I, I think, um, so, there's also the bounce spell, which can be good against some of them, but also like, or maybe gets gives your opponent back some value. Like, yeah. if you, you know, bounce their 6-6 six, six after they craft it, uh, yeah, they ingested 6 a.m., but then they get to draw another card or something. Yes. And so, like, you know, it's unclear. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do are using cards that are at least worth, like, close to a full card on the front face. Like, the, mm-hmm. the saw blades, I mean, that's probably going to kill something and then turn into, like, a pretty good creature. Like, that's probably fine if they bounce that back. <laughs> You're not too upset. Yeah. Um, um, but, yeah, so I... There's not enough. I mean, we're all going to play however many braids we get, I, I assume, and we'll probably play the other cards. So it's not as big of a of a deal, but it's just good to think about that. These are like all oh, artifact, and um, just how that could affect potential decisions you make, or like other synergies, micro synergies within your deck construction. Uh, if we look at the next slide, this gets, and we're going to start our descend, descending. I'll conjugate our verb as many ways as we can. Oh, no, okay, sort of sort of thing, yeah. Um, so predominantly uh, in black and red, but like you'll see a white card here, for example, and there's just 12 cards that say, you know, if you descended this turn, then X, Y, Z kind of happens. Uh, the, the nice thing is, I mean, if you've ever played a game of Magic, you know, things just kind of go to the graveyard. <laughs> so uh, your opponent can oftentimes see this if this is already on the board, and it might affect the way they block or, or the way they make decisions on gameplay, but... Uh, we get this thing called, you know, second main phase. <laughs> so you can, you know, do your attacks, you know, let, let the things happen as they were, and then uh, potentially you can play one of these cards second main, and because uh, they're pretty much all blocking at, you know, at the start of your end step, then you would, you know, get to make your fungus or get to put a counter on something or scry or or make a treasure or whatever the card is, kind of whatever it enables, whatever that, that trigger leads to, um, but, which is kind of nice, but also... Um, we'll talk about mill and, and all that stuff, but there's other ways to get things with graveyard besides just combat. You can sack stuff, you can have a mill, you could, you know, discard something potentially. Um, like there's, there's ways to move. Cycling, yeah, that we have a few cards to cycle. Explore. Explore also, yeah, explore is, is a big one. That, and just in general, that's proven to be very strong and limited, so it, you can kind of turn that on. Um, so in terms of how this affects combat, I would imagine it'll kind of be like, what was the the two four in white and black where it would make a one one if something died that turn? This was in LTR. I can't remember the card, but it was a good time test uncommon. Denethor. Denethor, thank you. Yeah, and it you always had to be thinking like they're in these colors. They have three mana. They've gone to combat. Like, do I want to give them a free one one? So I think enough of these cards are playable um, that you'll probably need to be thinking like, are they making a trade because they want a small game and making a trade because they want to get some trigger, you know, at their end step, like, what are they trying to do, and, and they figured out how to navigate against, uh, around that, I suppose. Yeah, it'll I don't make know if you want worse. Yeah. Like, it, it'll disincentivize you to trade, though. I don't think any of these are, like, super backbreaking. Like, uh, none of these are as good as Denethor, I think. Maybe the red-black no, signpost. No. Yeah, the good. Yeah. And maybe the... the I, I don't think any of them will be good as Denethor, like you said. But maybe the signpost, maybe the 
the bigger black one or the smaller red one, depending on what your deck's trying to do. If you want to make more cardboard, use it to sack or, or tap or whatever. But yeah, and Denethor, these are not. No, the thing that Denethor had is that it fueled itself, basically. Yep. And yep. then these all produce treasures. They don't trigger. They produce the yep. one with black fungus tokens. They don't trigger the uh, yep. descending. Tokens dying does not trigger descent. That's a very important fact. Yeah. Yeah. That's good to know. You can't just keep sending in your, your fungi saying they've got to take one or else they just get another one. So that's good. Yeah. I, I think that this all looks, again, this all looks so very nickel divey. This is the mm-hmm. Ruin Lurker, but you just like play it on turn one. It's a 1 1 flying life linker, which is good enough. And then sometimes you will scry, for example. It's, yeah, you don't need to build around it. But I guess like things like Deep, Deep Goblin Skull Taker, you want to play it as a 3 3 and you want to probably make it into a 4 4 2 to warrant playing the card because yep. you. It will have to pay itself off in the good games uh, for the times when you're going to just play it as a two-two and feel like a buffoon. So yeah, I will say I'm encouraged that a lot of this, uh, like nickel and dime, you said, or half card here, quarter heart card here, is coming back. So I feel like it really can reward tight gameplay and creative gameplay, which would kind of be nice to see. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, Boomer Magic is back. You heard it here but, first. Boomer, uh, yeah, yeah. Minus all the one and two drops that look to be pretty good. Boomer Magic is back. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, in descent, one thing that is, I think mm-hmm. is going to be important is uh, how you like your descent happening. Because okay, here it's only about descended. I guess the next one is about descent. Yeah, you can just go to the next slide. Yeah, because yeah. it'll, it'll help with the discussion. Yeah, some of these cards obviously are um, a good deal better than others. Some of them are just fine without you having four, eight, fathomless descend, whatever. Like, you're probably always going to play Join the Dead, uh, probably mm-hmm. as many copies as you get. You're probably going to play the, the green, black signpost because the Send 4 probably shouldn't be too challenging to get in that color pair. Uh, and it just it's really good after that. But, like, are you going to play a 1-3 that might become a 4-3 um, a at some point? I don't know. Are you going to play some of these other ones? No, so yeah, a lot of that you are because it's cute. Yeah, it is, it is cute. It's very cute. But, yeah, many of these are below rate before descends enabled. That being said, there are, I mean, we have a lot of ways to enable it. Just combat. Uh, you can mill cards, get it, and if you get a permanent to the graveyard, you know you're contributing to that. Explore. You may choose to surveil a permanent to the graveyard if it turns something on, or you're digging for a particular card, um, or crafting. If um, you did have, like, a trinkety artifact uh, that you were fine to, to craft with this on the board and on your graveyard already, I mean, that can help potentially turn on descend. Um, so there's, there's ways to turn it on, but it's unlikely to have the Sin 4 enabled, you know, super early in the game. So, you know, it should probably happen with normal gameplay, but you're not going to say my 3-3 three, three for 1 black-green is going to be a 5-5 five, five on turn 4. Like, that's probably not normally going to be the case. So just recognizing this might lead to, you know, wanting a bit of a slower game and these color pairs looking to trade off, looking to play more value, more nickel and dime, and then try and take over the mid to late game. He's, you know, at that point, you know, under-costed threats. It's just trying to get to that point, have enough interaction, enough early defensive speed to make these worthwhile, um, or else uh, they they may underperform. So how does this affect, like, drafting and deck building? Like, I think it'll probably be, like, on a very card-specific basis, because I'm not sure if enough of these are good enough before you activate Descend 4, Descend 8, to make it just, you know, jam all the cards in you can in your deck and just find a way to turn it on, but I don't know if other people have, have thoughts on that. And I'm looking at those cards and I'm like, 
what you said already, I think Join the Dead and Akawaii is a easy, easy game. Yeah. But Basking Capybara and Deduct Echo, I'm struggling with understanding if those cards are going to be good enough. Because yeah. I think 3-2 Flyer that draws a card is these, but... It's a little overcosted. Yeah, it's overcosted. It's almost Ripper, right? <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's sure. And at least in 2023, it's a long way from. But, it we're, not, but we're not in 2023. We're in. Oh, yeah, I forgot. We're in 2012 or whatever. We're in 2012. In yeah. No removal, so, man. Yeah, fire so is not happening. Like, when can you expect to send four to be online? Because I think four is yes. the number that you actually get most of being online. Yeah. Um, I think that. Uh, I would say it is possible to get it on, online on turn four if there's a lot of trading that happens um, and you like play specifically some softball cards. But I would expect it around turn five. Like I think yeah. if uh, you're I building think. around it, like turn five tends to be like where you would probably expect it. Like I don't know, like you play two drop that mills you for two. You like trade a thing and then like you play something else that goes to the graveyard somehow, like a dead weight or something. But then you you have to descend four probably. Obviously, like not every card milled will be a permanent, but like most of them will be. There's like a low density of non-permanent in the set. A lot of the spell effects are on permanents, but still. Um, and uh, so, because you expect it around like turn five, or like usually around turn five, sometimes around turn six, and like if you're really lucky, turn four. Like that's I think how you should be evaluating these. Um, and then, like, the question is, like, how good are these if they are turned on by turn five, right? I think Didact Echo, like, isn't good, mostly because a five mana 3-2 flyer draw card is not very good. Um, I mean, like, I could be wrong. It could be fine, but uh, I, I think it's... You might fit in a one-of in some decks, but you're not going to want more than one in probably zero yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then something like Baskin Capybara, right? Like, the thing is, like, one three gets outclassed so quickly, and it doesn't do enough in the early game. And then, like, on turn five, you it's like a 4-3, and that's okay, but it, it still only really just trades, so I'm not I'm not particularly excited for the Capybara. Also, another thing to note is, like, we have fewer one-toughness creatures than usual, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. makes a 1-3 worse. Um, there's more, like, two-power creatures that... Uh, oh, sorry, two-toughness creatures that just bounce off the Capybara. Um, that makes that worse. Like, um, hey, if it trades, then it fuels Descended and Descent. There, there you go. I, Synergy. I, mean, I mean, yeah, I, I do have a question. I mean, for you, sure. Right? I mean, sure. It's it's going to be like an okay two drop probably, but it's just nothing exciting. I think. Sure. So, um, well, that's the problem is that a lot of stuff in common in this set is really not exciting. The commons seem very shallow. In some colors, oh, I more disagree with you yeah. for uh, yeah. two colors in specific. But yeah, okay. yeah. But, but for green, but for green, it's I wouldn't call them colors. No, I wouldn't call them colors. It's lack of colors and presence of all colors. Technically, no. There, there you go. Yeah. Am, am I right in what you're trying to think about white and black? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those those are pretty deep. I think so, Jason. It, it seems like blue and black maybe are going to be a little. Well, black probably has a chance to be a little more controlling as a color. And many of the good black cards are, some are creatures and some are like deadweight and enchantment, but many are spells that aren't going to like affect ascend. Like if we're talking about our blue bounce spell or our black join yeah. the dead or our stack of artifact or creature draw card, draw two cards, make a map, like none of those are going to turn on descend necessarily. So I, I'm not, yeah, but, that makes but, me a little less likely to feel like it's going to turn on that easily unless you have the self mill. 
But. So the thing is, like, blue also, like, yes, the spells will, like, the, yes, blue and black have some good spells, but those good spells, like, you aren't really casting on turns two, three, four uh, as much. More on turn four than anything. Um, yeah. But, uh, and if you're casting them on turn four, often it's, like, double spelling. Like, I don't think Join the Dead is something that you're firing off on turn three all the time, right? Um, like, on, on the contrary, like, Blue has, you know, the one two, two mana one two Explore that helps turn on Descend. Mm-hmm. It has the three mana two two comes with a map token that helps turn on Descend. Uh, Black has, obviously, like, the... Uh, the two mana one one death touch mill two or the two mana one one they exile a card uh, like there's a bunch of things that you can do in blue black that are like grindy mid-range kind of cards. it's not like pure control like i'm just going to make sure the board is completely clear it's more just it's more about like uh, playing cards that will trade with your opponent's cards and get value i think in blue and black yeah. and, and I those i think like exist in this deck. i mean we'll see but it doesn't seem like they're removal is there and the, the the payoff is there to play like true blue black control like we've seen and and some yeah, other I don't so, if we go to the next slide we do look at mill which is uh can help with this end and jason mentioned a couple of these cards already like the two black ones mm-hmm. uh, that are probably gonna be pretty good uh good to pretty good um in terms of that where they're gonna play the avenues they open so like being able to to mill and all of these mill yourself uh, so you don't even have the choice to make a, a wrong choice. Uh, they all know yourself. Uh, so you get a chance to maybe turn on your descend for that turn or turn on your descended for eight. Uh, also, you may potentially mill something that could be crafted later. Um, so it's maybe very incidental, but it is nice to think about that. Uh, and then in terms of playability, I, I think a lot of this will really depend on what type of like micro or macro synergies you have in your deck that this might turn on. Uh, and what your overall game plan is. Like, you're probably happy to play a 1-1 Death Touch if you're trying to set up for more, you know, later game at the deck. You get your mill. Maybe you turn on your Descend 4, like you said, on turn, you know, 4 or 5. Uh, and that helps you put some cards out that are tougher to kill. You know, turn the, the game from you're a little behind to you're up here to your ahead. Um, so I think these are very card-dependent. It's tough to say, like, all mill good, you know, all mill bad. Um, and then, sorry... Carl, I, I don't think there's enough mill to make you go 41 cards, 45 cards, whatever you. Uh, I don't think you'll manage 41. Well, he might I anyway. Think some will, but, like, mostly not. Like, it's yeah. not going to be like there's Beyond Death where, like, every black green deck wants to play, like, 43 cards. Right, yeah. No, I, I don't think we will see that on the norm. And then we don't put explore cards on the slide because there's a separate side for explore. But, I mean, that is a way to put a card into your graveyard, which is, um, you can. I mean, it's surreal, but I mean, you can kind of think of it as nil in terms of like the same end result of something in your graveyard that you might have potentially wanted there. Yeah, no, I, I put it mainly because it mm-hmm. overlaps in colors with, right. green, yep. And, yep. Uh, with green and blue, and then you can just basically double down on those mill synergies by uh, exploring at the same time. Right. Which, yeah, which, but which, which, like, explore is like. Explore is less than half of a mill. Um, like, like if you explore, that's less than half of mill one because. Uh, first of all, there's like 40% of the time getting a land, and that's not going to go to your graveyard unless you're discarding the hand size, I guess. Um, but usually that's, uh, uh, yeah, drawing a card is good, but like, um, there is that. Second of all, um, so sometimes you'll want to keep the thing that you explore into on top, mm-hmm. right? Like, not, if, not if in my deck. Mom, or if it's a card <laughs> that you just really need uh, at, at that point in time, like, 
keeping it on top is uh, it might be the choice there. And like, you know, there's a bit of tension there if you're relying on Explore for your milling. So like exploring is less reliable, but you know, it's, uh, it can One point on Explore, yeah, I, I had to read this because I didn't remember from prior Exelon. So the Explorer does say, you know, put that card in your hand if it's a land. It doesn't even give the option if you wanted to turn on your like to send four. Nope, on your you're not allowed to mill it. Correct. You're not allowed to mill it. Right. Yeah, I had to review that because I haven't played with Exelon cards in quite a while. So yeah, I think in Exelon it wasn't like like if milling a card wasn't like that much value. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So it's nice we have these these um, mechanics that are kind of leaning together, like craft is happy to have stuff in your graveyard, you know, explore might get some stuff there, mill is is useful for that as well, and they tend to be in colors that overlap enough. Um, at least all three of those are kind of in blue. Um, I guess we go to explore, that's one of our, like, we have explore and discover left, and we can get into the colors. Um, we talked about explore a little bit, um, predominantly in blue and green, but there are random white and or black cards, and a scattered in there, and uh, many of these cards do look to be um, playable to, to very playable. Um, a lot of that would depend on your deck construction, and uh, if your luck stat's high enough to draw the card or, or get the 2-3 for 2 mana on turn 2, um, but that probably affects the way you're going to build your deck and how you're going to play the game is figuring out you know, what path might occur in my deck and what do I need to have available to me as options, cards in my deck, and ways I can play the game You know, if I am drawing lands versus I'm you know, getting these plus one plus one counters on my creatures. Uh, but in general, we know that, you know, if you get to play something and, and draw a card, uh, that's better than playing something and not drawing a card. <laughs> so this does kind of give that optionality. Um, and also can potentially enable Descender Craft, like we said before, things that do go into the graveyard, though it's not as likely for those because unless you're searching for a particular card, you're trying to turn on your Descend for or put like a trinkety artifact in the graveyard so that you can you know, craft with it. Uh, you oftentimes want to um, draw a card if it's if it's a good card. You may not turn on descend or or help facilitate craft as often as maybe with like milling, for example. But obviously, can facilitate explosive starts. If you play a you know this this green you know one one. If it's a two two on turn one, you play a two three on turn two. That's a pretty good aggro start. Um, so there's a chance for explosive starts. Uh, and because we looked at the removal with Circo, like there's not many one damage to creature, and there's only a little bit of, like, two damage or three damage, you know, depending on how these explorers go, you may be able to get out of range of some of the removal that your opponent has, so you can kind of remain proactive, remain beacon the aggressor. Um, in terms of how this affects, like, drafting or deck building, I don't think I'm going to change the number of lands I have in my deck based on explore, but I don't know if people have, have thoughts on that. I think with Explore, you should be more willing to play more lands in your deck, not fewer. Um, right. Because, uh, uh, well, okay, asterisk. Yeah. <laughs> one, of the main, one of the main constraints on um, land count in terms of like going lower on lands is like whether you're hitting your third land drop. Um, like that, that is, that's just how it tends to play out. Like if you're playing fewer than 17 lands, you start like struggling to hit your third land drop a bit more than most limited sets. So if you have one or two mana explorer creatures, though, like a lot of those, that can um, incentivize you towards like if you have those kind of explorer creatures and you want them to get counters more often than they, you want them to draw lands, that pushes you towards playing 
fewer lands actually maybe but um the constraint of like whether you want to play more lands tends to be like how flooded are you going to be and ex- having a higher density of explorer creatures lets you like get through your deck more mm-hmm. and like smooth out your late game draws so if you have things like pathfinding axe jaw like these slightly more expensive explorer creatures especially like the creatures that come with maps that pushes you towards playing more lands so like yep. it's it, i think it's a very it depends and also the effect mm-hmm. is fairly small I would yeah. say the connive also. Or Soker, do you want to say something before we compare it to a more recent mechanic we've seen? No, I mean definitely if I have the uh Nikanzil, uh I want to play more lines because I probably want to play some sort of a ramp strategy, especially right. have, like, maybe two of those, because that thing boosts your explore uh yeah. by quite a lot, so you definitely want to hit the lands. Yeah. But there's not really like a payoff in this set, except for like I guess the Selesnia like signpost. There's not like a payoff for encounters, right? There's not. Maybe I missed it in the spoiler, but I was looking for something that said for each creature you control with a plus one bonus one encounter, you get this bonus. And then there didn't seem to be as much of that. Although there are like some other cards that do put counters on your creatures that aren't explore. There's like that art, like four mana green artifact, the seed or stone thing. Um, but like. It doesn't seem like you're doing that much with that, except, you know, having bigger creatures that hit harder. Having bigger um, creatures is good. Like, a 1-2 yeah, yeah. is very different than a 2-3 on your 2-mana card. Yeah. Like, and honestly, means- on turn 2, if I have, like, if I had my third land drop in hand, and definitely if I already have my fourth land drop in hand, I'd much rather the Herald Scout see a non-land than the land. Oh, yeah. Right? So, like... Mm. Yeah. And it's also like uh, that artifact that gets counters. That thing is going to be grindy as hell if you manage to get it uh, rolling with some of the explore tokens because everything that dies puts back the counters. It's slow, but uh, it will be really annoying to deal with. Yeah. So there's chance for explosive starts. There's chance for grindy type of decks. Uh, probably, if possible, it'd be great to have your deck built so that you can utilize the the one two when it's a one two and not a two three. Whether it's tacking into something or tapping it or or some use for it. Um, and maybe a lot of that depends on just how the draft goes and what the colors allow. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I, there's a very specific common card that like, I'm going to talk about on the blue yep. slide that like works better with like the smaller, helps with the smaller creatures. Awesome. Well, let's, let's jump to discover and then we'll jump to the colors. Um, I'm in the wrong window and I'm clicking things and they are not. Uh, <laughs> there we go. You're good. Discover. Uh, yeah. So I, when I heard that this, like, when this was spoiled, I was uh, a little scared, I guess, because, I mean, we're not going to put two 4-4 four, four rhinos into play in this limited format, but it sure looks <laughs> a lot like Cascade, which is a pretty good mechanic. Um, but it seems like there are some cards here that are just going to be very first, second pickable. Like, just look very strong, uh, but they've op- it looks like they've kind of put Discover on some cards that are maybe a little over because they know you're going to get a two-for-one. Uh, and they're trying to do their best to not make it as broken as it could be. Um, but I don't know. I, I have some hesitations about this, and I would not be surprised if a weekend is just almost like, you know, ring tempting, where you just take any card that says, you know, the ring tempts you. It might just be, these are all two-for-ones, and you sure. just take them, and you figure out a way. So I, I don't know. We'll say there are some exceptions, but for the most part, you know, these are like discovering at sorcery speed. Um I mean, obviously, if you look at the counter spell or the whip, that is probably not playable, but but it's really interesting to think about. Like, you can do some stuff at instant speed, or if you were to have your creature die, like the the black creature over there, then you would discover when the creature dies. 
Um, but a lot of these are you play the spell and then you get to discover X, you know, three or whatever. And generally speaking, you're discovering less than whatever the mana value is for the spell you're playing. It's like the, the red three, two there, like discover three, which uh, is probably going to be a pretty good card, but you're um, at least, you know, not going to hit like a, a four drop or a five drop with it. Uh, and then the way modern limited is going, even though we said this is maybe boomer limited in some ways, I mean, there are a lot of good one drops and two drops in this set, it looks like. So your discover three is or four is not always going to hit a three drop or a four drop. Oftentimes, if you draft it a certain way, you might have, you know, half or more of your cards that cost one or two mana, and you might just hit one of those, which is not the end of the world or anything, but, you know, you're not spending, you know, four mana to get seven mana worth of value, potentially. Um, so I don't know if that's going to affect the way people, like, draft their decks or build their decks. Um, you're probably not going to be able to get a high enough density to discover to have that really affect your decisions, but I think it's just interesting to think about. Um, and you can't put the card you into your hand if you don't like it also. If it's like a counter spell or a combat trick or whatever, which is uh, a quality of life benefit and just a pro compared to Cascade. Sorry, Jason? I, th- I think mostly like what the what this will mean in, in terms of deck construction is like if you're if you have a lot of explore you probably want to put fewer situational cards in your deck um to some extent like uh specifically counter spells and um um like combat tricks to some extent though like combat tricks are, can still be fine sometimes depending on what kind of combat trick they are um or things like uh things that just don't affect the battlefield very much um like i or the power of a discover of discover is like you get to like immediately you know cascade into something that like you can cast and like you get multiple spells cast that turn and that's very good. But like you know if you're if the spell you hit is like the white artifact that like has ETB scry to like that's not going to be great, right? Um, so there's that. Uh, also, um, notably, like the common counter spell that they printed uh, in blue. It costs four mana, so you're usually not discovering into it. it it's like four mana, but it's a it, it costs two less if it's ca- targeting a creature. So I think I think that's very intentional on their part that you will very often not cascade into that card. Uh, so that's neat. But yeah, uh, also just like it, this incentivizes you to play fewer one drops specifically. I think like usually two drops do fairly well, but like one drops cannot sometimes be pretty trinkety. Uh, like mm-hmm. discovering into like the one one flying vigilance that dies into an explorer is not the most impactful of things, um, but it's just, just very small. And I don't think that like you're often going to get enough discover to like care that much about this. Yeah, yeah. I am curious about people's thoughts on the lands because it feels like there are a good number of one drops where you may, if you're very aggro, you may be reticent to put more than one of these in your deck. Um, but I don't know what people think about them just globally or specifically. There are a lot of mana to crack. Like, it's effectively six mana. So that's basically your entire turn. So it feels like it's going to be a seal, a thing that, like, when you open your seal pool, you're like, oh, awesome, I got, you know, two caves in my covers that now now we're cooking. Whereas in draft, like, there's going to be a lot of games that are going to end before you're going to have a chance to crack your cave. I I get it. They are as a sorcery, which is... I think I, I think that like they work best in like a mid rangey style of deck where you're just trying to trade off, trade off, trade off. Uh, mm-hmm. Like um, like just 
uh, trade one for one with your opponent a bunch and like have two for ones that like get advantage and like the caves are just like another thing that do this. It is going to be worse than aggressive decks because top land is a big cost and you're like not going to get to six mana very often in your aggressive decks. Like I'd rather play like different kinds of flood protection. Like for example, the red two two that disc that rummages every time it gets tapped. Like that card is better flood protection and means that you you're going to get to six mana less often as well. So like, yeah, um, it's also probably worse in control just because like, con- like pure control decks should be able to like have ways to like get card advantage without using the caves. So yeah. Okay. But, and their sorcery but, speed, but right? This, this set less, that's not only with the low amount of um, removal, but also with low amount of, there is no into the fake court in this set. I mean, yeah. there's the draw three discard. Yeah, I, I, I don't think like I don't think there's going to be a super controlling deck. I think this 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 set plays a lot to the board. Yeah, um, yeah we do like dark horse though. <laughs> that one will be good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's Maybe, not but, like but, but, but it will be good in control. <laughs> I mean, I, I will probably play because I'll have a uh, some flyer, some whatever thing. But even if I have to yeah, draw, that's like more of a mid range land, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Charlie Course is definitely more of a mid-range card still. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. amusingly, uh, you mentioned that mostly all the, disc- expo- uh, the discover is like less mana value than the card, right? But there are some exceptions, and a yep. really funny one is the three mana red aura that says ET- ETB. Discre- it's like plus one plus one example. It has ETB mm-hmm. discover three. Theoretically, you can like discover into another copy of itself, yep. uh, which is funny yeah. to me. Uh, the, the perfect deck is just like like seven mountains, a red two drop, and like. It, 20 copies of the <laughs> Italian's favorite. <laughs> it's not going to happen, of course, but it's, it's funny to think about. So, so you have to play the first one on top of opponent's creature, or does it say tar- uh, enchant creature you control? No, 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 no. The, the joke is that you mulligan until you get a hand that has okay. your one creature right. in it. You but, play the but, you know, if... They don't have removal. It is enchant creature you control, though, Yeah, which is a, is a good point. Yeah. So you have to have certain density of creatures. They didn't reprint rhinos. Okay, that's, that's good. We're, we're safe. We're safe from that build around. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess it's going to be discovered generally incidental rather than designing synergies around it, basically. You know? I hope so. We'll see. You, you might want to play with fewer one-drops if you have plenty of discover. But on the other hand, if it's a good one-drop, you get it for free and you move on with your life. Play things yeah. are like just impactful. That's the main yeah. thing. Like you yep. don't want yep. to be playing like air in your deck if you're playing uh, server cards. Yeah, but uh, for example, if I have the Caparocti um, as my discover card, I don't mind having that plus plus two plus two one mana combat trick because I'm attacking with Caparocti to activate my discovery. If I dig into my combat trick, I put it in my hand and I wait for them to block, and I'm happy with that. Yeah. So like, like yeah. But yeah, that's. I think that's the. There's going to be two categories of discover. I feel like there's going to be like, like those three cards in the middle there, which are just like they're gravy. They're already cards that like you're you're getting probably more mana that you're spending, you know, a worth of cardboard on the table. And then there's going to be the clunky ones where it's going to be more questionable whether you're going to get you know the, the mana that you invest, like walk the ancestors, or honestly the aura might be like one of those because like how happy are you with like plus one plus one and trample if you whiff on your your uh discover hit you know i I think that one's actually good i I think the aura is good because like 
because it is cheap and like because the discovery amount is for the same amount, like I think if you even if you hit like a two two with that, you're very happy. Um, the, the the danger is just whether it gets blown out, but as we know, yeah. there's no room to blow the set. <laughs> that is correct. Right, let's move on to uh, Jason's slide. Great. So fixing, I looked at all the fixing in the set. Uh, not at rare. I did not look at any rares or mythics because if you're relying on that for fixing, like uh, good job, I guess. Uh, I'm sure there's probably something at rare or mythic that like fixes a lot. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, so. Okay, yeah. So this slide is for the bad or more questionable fixing. Um, I think uh, there's like there's a bunch of random like colorless fixing stuff in this set that like I think is kind of questionable. Um, in addition, I think like the green uh, common here that like three mana it, like ramps you and then crafts for six mana into a five five. You have to craft it with a cave as well, specifically. I think that card's just way too slow. Like, uh, crafting it with a cave means that you probably want to activate the cave first. So, like, you spend six mana there, and then you spend six mana on this. You get a 5-5. Five, five. It's just so slow. Like, maybe it's good, but I don't think you can take turn three off just for this. You um, can also miss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's also possible to miss. I have missed with Flurifist Vinewall in the past. Uh, it was very sad. Yeah, I calculated um, around 2% miss rate on this one. Yeah, like, obviously, you know, it's not going to miss that often. Like, 2% is pretty low, but, like, that is a factor as well. Um, but, yeah, so that that's bad. Uh, Forgotten Monument's also bad. You don't want to play a colorless land in your deck, and you don't want your colorless land to rely on other lands to, like, actually fix you, like, lands that are tapping for mana, <laughs> right? Like, like your other caves are already tapping for some color of mana. This just lets it um, tap for some other color of mana, which isn't good enough. <laughs> and also, on staring uh, on top, it requires you to pay life in order to... Uh, like you get fixing from those other caves like pain lands are painful uh, as it turns out <laughs> so yeah this is not a great card overall like maybe you can make it work in a super heavy cave deck but I don't imagine those really exist that much and then uh, buried treasure I wanted to mention this is a two mana artifact that is just a treasure on the battlefield so like it, all it can do on the battlefield is sacrifice itself to add a mana of any color um, and it has five uh, exile it from your graveyard to discover five or something like that um, I think this is a card that is more like a more of a card that you can sometimes put in your explore and self mill decks I don't know how much you should do that but like I do think that it is maybe something viable in those decks but it's not fixing really you don't really want to like spend a whole card to fix you don't you really don't want to be casting this from your hand definitely basically I, mean, I guess you you cast it when you accidentally drew it but you hope to mill yeah it. yeah yeah it's like not ideal and you shouldn't be like relying on it for your fixing I don't think um I could be wrong. I, I think maybe it's possible that I, like that situation is still good enough because like it's a one use prophetic prism and the card it drew was like a discover five for five mana. I don't think that's good enough, but maybe it is. Who knows? Um, then there's some okay stuff. There's a crystal grotto variant that can sack itself to put counters on something. That's like fine. Um, there's a w much worse evolving wild, but like it is a cave. Like both of these are caves, so there's some synergies, but. Overall, I'm a bit skeptical of the cave synergies, I guess. Um, but like, how often? Are, yeah. Uh, how often in Lord of the Rings were you happy to have a Shire Terrace in your deck? 
You were usually. Uh, I didn't play that that very much. I think you weren't happy that often. Basically, Evolving Wilds is a card that you'll put in like many two color decks to help make your mana better. This is not true of an effect like Promising Thing. Um, just because like Evolving Wilds, one mana is easy to fit uh, like in your curve. Two mana is a lot more of an ask. Um, so that, that, that similarly with cat, I think Captivating Cave is probably better for two color decks that like maybe have a light splash somewhere. Um, it's a lot worse than Crystal Grotto. The activated ability is worse than the Scry one, I think, but it's not embarrassing. Um, and then there's some situational cards. I think uh, Compass Gnome is like okay. It's like a Campus Guide variant, but it can find a cave. Um, which, like, you know, if you care about the caves or, like, if, you, if you're going to be a deck that's going long, right, you're not going to play Campus Gnome in an aggro deck, really, but, like, if, you're, if you have a mid-rangey deck that cares about all of its cards, like, doing things, like, at least Compass Gnome will get you a cave, which will then get you another spell in the future. Uh, and then Pit of Offerings, I think. I don't know if it's a sideboard card. I don't know, I, I don't know how to think of the card, but it's, like, weird. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the Exile 3 from your graveyard can be really powerful against some decks, but obviously it's not great to play on turn 1. No, it's, so. I, I guess this is the kind of a card that you might want to have one in the deck that also have some number of compass gnomes and maybe the other one that puts the cave on the battlefield. And you're just praying that you're not going to draw your Pit of Offerings early, because if you play it like turn 4 or 5, especially uh, against a deck that cares about descending, then you probably get decent value out of it. It's like mini Bajuka book, plus it will give you some colored mana. But I guess that all this bad fixing is actually, it's actually decent that it's bad because you probably will want to play it when you are on the pod where you had some late cave payoffs and and you're just going to go for it sometimes. And I think that there might be decks that uh, you're going to do this kind of dirty control deck that has cave payoffs and then um, maybe with Explore. I guess yeah, Compass Gnome is also much happening. better with Explore. Yeah, I, I could see that happening. Like, if you, like, I could see playing a Compass, like, playing the Compass Gnome, Promising Vein, Captivating Cave kind of package in a, like, more long game cave payoff deck. I think that's how the cave payoffs will work, but I don't, I don't think it's, it looks particularly good to me. I could be wrong, but we'll see. We'll see. Okay, the, the six mana four four draws two cards is probably decent in this type of deck, and the eight mana five five life linker is probably decent in this type of deck. Yeah, like I think. Okay, I like. I think you don't need a six mana draw two cards in in your like splashy control deck. Like yes, it's it's fine, but like it's not go- it's not going to be excellent, right? It's going to be like just another card that you a good card that you can play, not something like that stands out. I think the thing that will make this deck stand out is the sweeper. I think specifically uh, like being able to consistently get like caves in your graveyard, caves on the battlefield for your sweeper will be nice. Um, mm. I'm just slightly skeptical of like that deck coming together that often, basically. I think it's a lot worse than Gates in... Uh, like, oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, because it's also like the, the the Gates were completely different level of fixing because you just played like all of them and you had all five colors all of a sudden, no problem. Yeah, and, yeah. and this... I like, I think like, is like it, it like works against the its own strategy where like you want to be a late game... You want to be a late game like big mana kind of deck 
and then you don't you don't really need the caves or card advantages then because like the the advantage of like going to the late game is like so that you can play these powerful cards that like continuously generate you card advantage and make up for your like top lands. Um, so you don't need to be able to pay six mana to craft your tap land for discover five <laughs> or discover four. But yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I just, I want to play the bats thing, but I don't think it's just good enough because I love this type of card. Like three one ones for three mana, get me in. But it won't work, unfortunately, I think. I think right, uh, part of the problem with the bats is also like you need to have three caves on the battlefield as opposed to in your yeah. graveyard. Like, <laughs> so. <laughs> That is a problem. All right, let's move to the good fixing. The good fixing. Um, so, uh, next slide, please. Uh, yeah. Uh, explore counts, kind of. Um, explore is inconsistent. Similarly to mill, it's like inconsistent at this, but it digs you deep. Okay, so it's a bit more consistent than the mill because it always digs you one card deeper into your deck if you're like specifically looking for a card, right? Um, and so it, it, all your explore cards will like dig you deeper into your deck, into your deck. It'll, you know, provide a bit more card draw, basically card filtering, um, and get you towards your fixing sources more often. So it counts. Um, it doesn't, it's not, you know, obviously you can't just put like explore in a two color deck and say, oh, I can now splash my third color with no additional help. <laughs> but like it, it helps just a bit, right? Um, beyond that, I think the best fixing in the set is, it, uh, there's a there's like three really good colorless uncommons I think that are for, for fixing. First of all, Sunbird Standard. Uh, oh, I should have put the back side of this on this, this slide as well because the back side is super important. But it, essentially, it's a mana rock that crafts for five with some cards in your graveyard, but mostly. Um, and then it turns into a vigilant, hasty flyer that taps for mana equal to like one of each of the colors that uh, it it was crafted with. Um, so, like, if you can craft it with two or three colors, it, it, it turns into a, a like, hasty 2-2 or 3-3 three, three flyer with Vigilance that taps for two or three mana. And then it's very easy. I think it's the play pattern is going to be pretty easy to craft with it and then cast a spell with it. And then if your opponent can't remove it, and, of course, there's no removal in the set, um, then it, it's, like, a really, really good ramp piece, right? Uh, then there's also Scampering scare and Surveyor. It's uh, just a 4-mana 3-2 that ramps you at colorless. Uh, gets a I think it also can get a cave or uh, or a basic land. So um, yeah, it's just a really good card. <laughs> Colorless organ hoarder. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, yeah, I, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't exactly draw a card, but uh, it like puts a land onto the battlefield, and that land can be a cave, which is more like drawing a card. And like ramping you is also very good. So like even not just like for casting a six drop, but just for double spawning the pre- next turn. <laughs> and then there's uh, the unholy combination of. Uh, 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 Pickaxe and uh, Carve from Kaldheim, which is careening minecart, a 3-3 vehicle with crew 1, and when it attacks, you make a treasure. Um, very good card, I think. Uh, your opponent just has to trade with it, or otherwise, like, making a treasure every turn is just really good for you, I think. And it's weirdly fixing for aggro decks somehow. Yeah, yeah. That's another thing about this. And this is, like, transitioning a bit into the colored fixing. Um, there's the best... Other than the colorless stuff, there's also really good, like, red fixing. Um, in this set at Uncommon, uh, specifically in the form of treasures. So there's a, another pickaxe this set. It's worse than the pick in Kaldheim because it costs, costs two to equip. Slightly better because it's on attacks, I guess, but I think the equip cost is more meaningful. Um, so that, that's a treasure, that's a treasure generation source every turn. Then there's a 2-2 that makes a treasure on your end step if you've descended, which is also another source of fixing. And then there's a 3-2 that comes with a treasure at Common. 
And like everything here, like except the standard, right? The surveyor, minecart, pickaxe, scallywag, pirate, all of these point towards more aggressive plans. Funnily enough, all of these kind of want you to attack and trade. Like literally for the pickaxe and the minecart, they want you to attack. Scallywag wants you to trade and the scarecrow and the pirate like come with bodies that naturally like trade, right? So they're not going to be worse for like controlling, like really controlling decks, but good for like the kind of five color mid-rangey decks that we saw in Eldraine. So I think if there's any like super splashy deck, it'll be like red, somewhat mid-rangey, too aggressive kind of deck. I don't know how viable that is, but that that that's where I think like the like best fixing in set is. It's like all the cards that just like uh, the poison dart frog. I think is a great card in green. I don't think it's like, like it, it, the problem is like the rest of green doesn't have very much good fixing. So like it's going to, it's probably going to be hard to like actually build a green multicolor deck. But I don't know. I, I don't know how to feel about the frog. <laughs> it's like. Off plan. Do you think it's better than Woe's Pathfinder? Uh, yes. Oh, you didn't play that much it's LTR. But I mean, like Woe's Pathfinder, I think like that, that's a that's a card that you know it gives you a mana sink in the late game. But more importantly, this Dark Frog trades like it trades with anything. And Death Touch, you, like with all the big toughness stuff, Death Touch gets better as well. Um, so <laughs> I can say not that frog. I'm skeptical of the frog at it's least for frog. the start of the format. Frog. I, maybe, maybe like a, a fixing in some kind of a Naya dinosaurs because you want to ramp more than fixing. In I was going to ask for the minecart. Are we seeing that probably is just helping facilitate double spells rather than like splashes? Just gives you an extra mana. I, I, all of those cards to me look busted with Captain Storm. Captain Storm and all oh. of those cards is just insane. Yeah. yeah, like I think all the 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 five cards in the middle here: surveyor, minecart, pickaxe, scallywag, pirate. The other thing is that they're just good for facilitating double stalls, like um, them making treasures or ramping you. Like uh, it's not you don't need to use it for fixing. Like it, it can just be good for double spelling. But like like think of it as like red cap thief in uh in like. Uh, Wilds of Eldraine, right? Like, a Plundering Pirate is very similar to that card, in fact. Right? It just, like, helps you double spell uh, at worst case, and, like, it provides incidental sources of fixing. Uh, and it's unclear how relevant those incidental fi- sources of fixing will be, but they, they, they do exist. You know, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm high that there will be some sort of Jeskai artifact deck that will use the core of those cards, because they fit on the theme in so many ways, and, and you get some decent payoffs in all the colors and maybe like red is the center and then white and blue are adding pieces of synergy to it. Yeah, and I guess I'll I get to this on the red slide, but I think red is also kind of shallow. So it's nice that red has more fixing so it can like splash into other colors and not have to play. It's like weird comments. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Shall we move to the next slide then? Sure. White. Uh, so I think white is very deep. Um, like I built a white skeleton, like a white half skeleton, and it had twenty three cards in it. So <laughs> that's that's how deep white was. Like just just white cards. Like obviously you're not going to get a mono white deck very often, but I think you, you I think you legitimately can um, like build a mono white deck. The main thing about white is like at common it just has a lot of like rectangles. It has a lot of cards that are just like good. Like just just good rate, like um, for example, the two mana one two put a counter on something, or Tinker's Tote we already discussed as like really good, lots of rectangles, four mana three two fire make a one one, or like the one one flying vigilance when it dies explore. Like all of these are just like 
solid rate creatures or like you know creature adjacent with tinker's tote that like none i don't think any of them are like super aggressive and it's weird because like they kind of promote a go wide strategy right uh aspirant least of these but like it still kind of promotes go wide because you know you can put a counter on something else and leave behind the one two and like the question is how are you using your one two right um but because of this you have a lot of uh this like uh, support at common, right, for go wide. But you don't have a lot of payoff. You don't have an inspired charge. There's a two mana instant that, like, is that says, like, plus one, plus one, or all your creatures get hexproof. And that's not a very good inspired charge because plus one, plus one, like, is just not impactful enough. If you remember, like, Ritual of Hope from Midnight, uh, from Crimson Vow. Um, and that, that wasn't a card you were particularly interested in. So, there's not very much of that at common, but at uncommon, there's a bunch of payoffs with, uh, like, there's the short, the, uh, or sorry, the deconstruction hammer is a common, and that's, like, only slightly a payoff for going wide. But there's the um, five mana, four, three, that has ETB inspired charge, which is, like, a very, very, very real payoff. <laughs> like, that card seems, like, really good to me. Um, and then there's play-fired bricks, which, like, gets a planes and gains two life, and then you can flip it, and it becomes... Two, it makes two one ones, and also is an or uh, is a... Uh, uh, plus one, plus one to your whole, whole team and anthem. Yeah, on the back, uh, so it technically makes two two twos and also pumps your team. Um, I think that card's going to be very good, especially because I think like white doesn't look that fast to me. It doesn't look like there's no like two mana three one or something like that in white. Uh, and like there's there's no like super aggressive combat tricks. There's like the plus one plus three flying untapped card, uh, which like you know is a good wings of the cosmos whatever we see this all the time it's like a good combat trick tempo wise but like not the not the most aggressive uh, it pushes damage late i guess but yeah and then there's like some things that common and wait for why that uncommon as well like the pop here which is like three mana through one flash that like bounces a thing to your hand just like more value with like tinker's tote um etc payoff um, yeah, I think though. it's just very deep at common without... It's very deep at common, but I think you need something else to go with it. It's like a very deep support color um, at common. And you either need the white uncommons or to combine it with something else, because I don't think the one ones like quite get there at, on their own as a game plan. If that makes sense. Yeah, it makes I, I think that yeah, white looks pretty strong as... Again, as role players for every single archetype that you get, and they need the other color just to add which character you want to add to those yeah. or which role do you want to apply to those. Like, again, Tinkerer's Tote, you can imagine it in white, red, white, black, uh, white, green, and whatever. Uh, white, green is probably the least pronounced as an archetype, I guess, because it has what creatures have more power than, than base power. Well, yeah. That, that's, that's not going to be a thing. That's I think it's a little be maybe a bit more splashy as well because you want to splash for that uh, like direction and like white has a lot of like mid rangey tools that let you survive in the early game right like Tinker's Tote is like actually really good for this right it like it, it provides some blockers and like some life and some material and like just grindy mid range stuff. Okay, I have actually a question to you guys. Uh, there's one white card that was not on this thing and. I'm struggling. I might be completely misguided with this card and looking through the roast into classes, but looking at especially those low impact uh, creatures in white, 
That's the enchantment that every turn gives something plus two plus O oh, and vigilance until end of turn. I think okay, it, with all common? the one ones. Huh? Is this a common? It's I uncommon. think it's an uncommon, uncommon. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. It, I, I probably like, didn't include it because it's not a, a common. <laughs> it, it, it's like goblin, battle, shaman, or whatever, but in white and as an enchantment, right? Like at the beginning of combat, something gets plus two plus O. Oh, yeah, I thought like a combat professor enchantment, I thought more or less, but it gets yeah, plus two plus O. Might of the ancestors. Of yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it, that card. Hmm. Because it doesn't do anything on its own. But if you have like lots of flying around bodies, upgrading your 1 1s to a 3 1 and just pushing it every single turn. But then Here's if your opponent just has that. a 4 toughness dine of Yeah. <laughs> Didn't we, weren't we just over how like uh, well, everything in this set has five, 4 more toughness? Or 5 more toughness? Yeah, but so you, not flying. You put things. on a flyer. Yeah, yeah you put on the guide wing. Yeah, your guide like, wing, your, your vampire, the 1 1, even the Ultic Cloud Guard swinging for 5 every turn. That's pretty decent, I guess. Sure, it's I like bone split. It. It's bone splitter that reequips itself every turn. No, it's uh, but you have to pay more upfront, sort of. But it doesn't work on blocks. Mm. It doesn't work on blocks. That's true. But it does give vigilance, so you can later chomp with your mini things. Yeah, I'm like less convinced than you are. I think, but I don't think it's horrible. I said I'm. Not, I'm not convinced. I'm just. I'm. I'm just weirdly appealed by this card, and I don't know yeah. if it's, this is my. I know my weaknesses. One of my weaknesses, I like this kind of a card and I will overrate it and I'm just asking for uh, opinions, that's why. This, this for me is the kind of card that I probably will never put in my deck but is going to kill me, you know? Like, And then I'll be like, oh, I have to respect this thing a little more because I got chumped, in, you know, chumped to death in the air by a 1-1 flyer that got equipped to you know, 3-1. Yeah, so my, my, my rationale for it is that... Um, what was it? The um, the two three was it something barred in 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 Dungeons and Dragons? Then later they reprinted it in Lord of the Rings. I think it's a kind of two three that gives plus one plus O oh to creatures. That card was usually decent, but frequently it was just never involved in any sort of combat because it was too valuable on the board. And this one sort of removes that problem. It's just an enchantment sitting there, and it is definitely aggressive. You don't want to play it when you're behind, but I guess you can build decks where you're continuously ahead. And yeah, I, with I, flyers, I think it's like so much better because... I uh, think the body is just like more relevant than you think on this kind of thing. And also like the... Well, I know, Adam, you said that your version of Azorius was like flyer-based and maybe would go in that. But the, at least in the skeleton I built, it was just like, you know, uh, tinkers, totes, and craft payoffs and artifact go wide payoffs, right? And you don't want this kind of random uh, uh, enchantment floating around in that. So, I mean, there's probably going to be a deck for this kind of thing. I mean, they printed in the sets. They, they thought that there's going to be... Yeah, I, 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 it also is good in enabling your more power than base power. Ah, okay. maybe, maybe it's yeah, not a crap. Technically. Maybe it's <laughs> true. <laughs> technically. I don't think that this deck exists. Obviously, I built it, but... Um, uh, I think I put it only in my flyers because I think it's good with flyers. Um, so we move to next color, which is, I guess, black. Uh, no, that one's blue. Oh, blue. All right. Yeah, uh, blue is weird to me. I think it it mostly has some good cards on the left. <laughs> like, uh, like two mana, one, two, explore is very good. Three mana, two, two, flying in Windrake that comes with a map is very good. Um, those are just very good rate. Then it has a very good rate bounce spell that 
two mana like bounce a creature. If the creature was tapped, you make a map. It's also very good rate. Um, and then like the four mana two five with, with that that becomes a four five when you descend uh, four. I think that is also pretty good. Um, just because I think two five blocks well. And then like if you think of like getting to descend four on turn five, then it's a four five, and then suddenly it's like a very very real body. Um, so that one is maybe like. The worst one out of these four but like it just has some individually strong cards and then like it also has like a somewhat of an artifact package on the right there uh with like oaken siren as a mana dork that's like not embarrassing it has like a sleight of hand variant or like consider variant that's like more mana but it's a permanent so it like triggers descend more and like it puts things into the graveyard um and like the iceberg is like a late game threat which like generates value early game as well which is maybe nice uh still unsure how good that card is but it seems powerful to me um and then cogwork uh what was it called cogwork brawler or something or cogwork wrestler, wrestler. yeah uh, just one another one of these like one mana one two flash give something nice to my so when it enters like that's actually like a pretty good effect and like this is the specific card i wanted to talk about with like the explore creatures right like if you play a two mana one two explore and you draw a land right um it's not going to perform in combat that well right because one two is doesn't do that much uh compared to like a two three but now that you have this one two on the battlefield right having like another thing like this cogwork brawler in your hand like can help you like actually interact well in combat because like you flash it in and then you double block and suddenly you have two power and four toughness across your blocks that like that'll eat a two two uh, it'll eat a three two even it'll uh, trade a one two for a four two like that it like having these random bodies on the battlefield makes cogwork wrestler better because cogwork wrestler is just like another random body on the battlefield so i think it works pretty well with the explore stuff when you happen to like not get the counter on the explore or even when you do but just like it helps make them not embarrassing when you don't get the counter yeah Uh, and also aligns perfectly with like when you don't get the counter and you draw a card so you can more afford to spend a card on this like cheap interaction thing yeah yep you didn't put the aura that gives minus X, minus O, and mills to. You think that this card might be something? or No. I, I mean... Uh, Do you remember Spear? Or whatever it's called? Uh, or, yeah, is that well, what that Christmas is called? Uh, I don't yeah, know. There, there was, was a version of Midnight Hunt? Was it? Yes, there was a, something called Fear of Death, but I think this is very similar. Um, what is it called? It's basically like so tiny or whatever things that there are always things like that. Like I, I so think it's just like so tiny was that it had flash so that you could use it as a combat trick, um, mm. right? I'm pretty sure it had flash at least. Um, whereas and also because blue was winning by milling in that set, like blue very often uh, killed your opponent by milling in mm. uh, like original Eldraine. Whereas here, like. The problem with this kind of uh, removal where it just gives the creature minus X minus O is that they still have the blocker. They can either chump with it or, God forbid, if they have, if you put it on a 6-6, six, six, they have a 0-6 now that they can block with. And then, like, stymies your, like, it stymies your um, attacks, right? So you either need to be having, like, you know, flyers in the air that you're winning with, which, like, you have a bit of with the wind drake, but, like, not that much or you need to like be milling them or something which like isn't really a realistic thing so i think it's just not good enough all right let's move to black 
which is very deep, which is good in a cave, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I think mostly just every single card, in, every single common in black looks like it's like just good. <laughs> I, I don't know how else to explain this, but just like there's like there's a lot of cheap tempo cards and a lot of cheap one, uh, like one point five or two for ones uh, common. And like it's uh, all the cards seem really good, synergistic with each other. Uh, I didn't even realize that tithing blade was a common at first. Shout out to the set symbol, uh, but. <laughs> Like I, don't I thought it was an uncommon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you, you just have a two mana edict that like turns into an actual threat. Like the backside is uh, dogged pursuit or whatever. Like every turn you drain your opponent from one, and that's not a card that you would like play just for itself, right? You wouldn't just play, play like dogged pursuit and pass has been a pretty bad card though. It was the worst back. common in the set. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like when it comes stapled to another card, like yes, it's you just get it for free. It's like actually a decent threat. Like when you staple it to another not so playable card in an edict, I get what well, you're meaning. But the edict uh, isn't but yeah. unplayable though, because like it, the edict also comes with a like thing, right? Like it it comes with a thing that you can then sack to like. Like, maybe the Edict is worth 0.5 of a card, and the, like, Artifact is worth 0.5 of a card, and you now have a full card for two mana. Um, yeah, no, 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 no. I, I, I totally get it. I mean, I, I, you know, again, Preening Champion is a Windrake, and it has a stapled 1-1 one, one crapper, and all of a sudden, this is, like, the best common that we've ever seen, no? <laughs> Well, a body, a body is uh, probably worth more than just, like, this random artifact on the battlefield, but there's just, in this set, there's so much stuff to do with it. Right. I see yeah. a card right below it that looks really good with random artifacts on the battlefield. <laughs> Although I would rather combine it with the Mephitic Trot, but um, that's oh, yeah. just me. Draw more. I think Mephitic Trot is probably going to be worse than Tithing Blade because I think I think when you're doing stuff like this, you want to be affecting the battlefield more than you want to just be drawing pure cards. I think you can get the pure cards in other ways. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but... Uh, draw more cards. That's that's the way to win games. Just draw I more. I mean, yeah, Tithing Blade is not Shambling Ghast, but it might be pseudo-shambling gas in some decks where you sack it after it's done what it needs to do to draw some cards. Like There's already a shambling gas in this set, uh, though, right? Yeah, it does minus one, minus one, though, but it can ramp you, which is nice. Well, minus one, minus one wouldn't do anything, because there's no creatures with one toughness, so, you know. I just waited a lot of attacks with shambling gas back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As we all know, this set is full of uh, creature no removal, no creatures with one toughness, and every creature has five or more toughness. So that's, that's, that's how it is. And by every, I mean, we mean 17% of them. Yeah. So everyone in plays. six. Everyone in six, and they are mainly cycled to get a place. Unless your opponent plays the, the tote on turn three, and then you're very sad looking at your edict. But, but we won't tell people about the tote. People will think the tote's unplayable, and we'll play all the totes. Yeah, no, I mean, the thing is, like, I would agree more if, like, Tithing Blade wasn't something I was excited to play on turn two, right? Because, like, turn two, as it turns out, is before turn three. Uh, <laughs> so, your opponent won't have to play the draw. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think, I think, like, there, yes, there are some things that will punish you for, like, playing Tithing Blade, but, like, even just, like, you know, getting rid of their 1 1, like, it's not going to be that impactful, but it's going to do something. I don't know, I'm reminded of Carl when he was talking in a recent episode about cards that probably will play better on the draw than the play, because it's maybe a way to like steal the draw from someone. I mean, I'm not a big edict person, but with as good as the one drop and the two drops do look in this set, 
in some colors. Like this could play up a little more than it. It might have been some slower sets. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, you killed the one one that explores before they hit the second body, and correct. Yeah, lost value. Yeah, yeah. You feel like a winner. Yeah, and then you might train them for one every turn. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just think black looks incredible. This set, just a lot of people. And there's like, like I think maybe three of black commons. Like there's maybe like three or four black commons that I don't like, and like there's plenty of black commons I didn't put on this slide. Uh, so I don't know. And to answer chat, yes, I am counting mill two as half of card. Um, uh, and I think a one one death touch is a full card in the set. Um, like I don't know. I, I think turning on your descend early is pretty nice. Uh, for example, your Echo of Dusk becoming a 3-3 lifelink is very, very good. So, yeah. Yeah, 3-3 lifelinker is better than the 2-2 vanilla, I would say. I'm, I'm not an expert in this, but uh, Echo of Dusk looks pretty busted if you can get it to the threshold, and I think that Death Cup Marionette is going to be the easiest way to do it. No? <laughs> Uh, what do you think about the the three mana one for that sacrifices a creature or artifact to drain one? It reads somewhat like Vampire Spawn. I'm less excited about it now that I've heard that there's not there's zero X ones in the set, like actually zero, right? That that's what we concluded. Um, but yeah, uh, no. <laughs> there's not another single one. And if they do, they have Death Touch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm less excited about it now, I guess. But like, it just feels like. There's going to be a lot of things that you can like uh, sacrifice for, like free ish. Um, maybe it's maybe it's not that good, but I think right. it's like not that bad. It reminds me of Gluttonous Guest. But by the way, I mean on top of not having any removal and not having any card draw, it also doesn't have any threaten effects. Uh, yeah, yeah, actually zero this time, right? I, I think this is actually- an actual zero. This is this is not a hyperbolic zero. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. There's no, there's no threat in effects. I mean, they would have been, they would have been super busted with the. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Know, I'm just looking at four or five zero mana sacrifice effects, but um, yeah. Still, it's a first set, and I don't know how long that doesn't have any kind of threat in effect. That is very notable, right? Yep. Yeah, they put the yeah. apple last set to have two of them without any sacrifice outlets, and now they have zero threatens and many sacrifice outlets. I guess they're trying new things. Uh, Join the Dead, you said it's bad that it's got uh, uh, two black pips. I said it's good that it has two black pips. It won't get splashed as much. We won't steal it from you. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's sorry, what I think. Not, when I was saying that it's bad that it has two, two black pips, it's because I can't, A, I can't splash it, and B, it means that like people who are in black will be more in, deeply in black, and black will be like even more, like I think, powerful because oh, of that. Yeah, play more frogs. That's my advice. <laughs> well, more frogs. Like, more you frogs. Can build your own like uh, murder with the frog because there's the Watley strike, which is like a bite. And so if you five go a five mana instant, I think it's instant. Uh, it is. An it is. It is. Yeah. So that's, that's nice. Five Five mana is a lot of mana, but I mean, in this set, there's zero removal, so you need to pay what you got to pay. Exactly. Um, that is correct. Okay, let's move to the next color. Yep, red. Which is red. Which is not. I think deep. red has like three, like like a like four good cards. Maybe I don't know. Like uh, the the cards on this slide are like 
decent at common. But like obviously it has a braid, it has goblin guide, just your one mana two two haste. Well, you need an artifact for it to be a two two haste. I think other people are higher on the goblin than I am, but like I recognize it's a very powerful card. And then you it's always have an artifact, no? That's just <laughs> yeah, always. Yeah. <laughs> um I recognize that Holly's favor is also like pretty powerful. Like discover three, like I said, discover three on a three mana thing is pretty powerful. It can get blown out, but there's no removal, so it's fine. Um, Plundering pirate also just powerful card. Three two uh, red cap thief is probably better than red cap thief. But like other than like these cards, red is, feels kind of shallow. Uh, and like there's things that like enable the goblin tomb raider, which is nice. Like I think the two two is pretty good as well, but I don't know. Red just seems kind of shallow to me, and it's nice that, like I said before, it's nice that it has that treasure stuff so that I can like splash into other colors instead of relying on the red commons because I just don't really like the red commons that much. That's a good question uh, from the chat. Uh, you didn't include the torch as a good card. The torch, the, sun, oh, the sunfire torch, the equipment that just does not I don't know, and you think can so. sacrifice it to pink for two two. Any target can go face. So, like, the thing about that card is I don't want to I don't want to have a, like, one mana equipment that equips for one and gives plus one plus oh. That does not seem like a good thing to me. Uh, like, that's not a good card. And I also don't want to pay two mana and have to attack to get my shock. Um, <laughs> so, like... Yeah, you have uh, one more shock, too, that they know about. Yeah, a, sh- a, a shock that descends. No, they don't need to know it. You have to... You, you play it and you equip it and you attack and then boom. They didn't like, know yes, the joke is I mean, that it mana. <laughs> but I think that like it's just so much worse it's than like it's it's so cl- yeah it's just so clunky. Like neither side is particularly good, and they don't add up that well either. Like <sighs> like if I want to shock, I want to keep my equipment around so I my creature continues to like attack for more. And like plus one plus zero is just so small. I don't and know. even if there's no removal, as we established, then the one removal spell might be really good. Well, I'd rather have a braid. <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah, I'd rather have the best common <laughs> in the color than the, <laughs> this clunky thing that I'm trying. And it's that deep level analysis. Have, that you're joking, I think it is like a D plus card. <laughs> like instead, okay, consider instead of spending two mana at sorcery speed, I'd rather just spend three mana at instant speed and keep around the artifact sure, and have something I can pass with. I don't know. Like, <laughs> this seems really bad to me. Um, for what it's worth, I do like the Volatile Wonder Glyph. I think it, the card is going to be better. Yeah, than no, I, I think the card is good. I just think it's, like, nothing too special. Oh. Yeah, but, I, I, you know, there, there there is several easy cards that you can add to your deck where you can tap them without putting them in combat situations to fix your draws mm-hmm. and fill in your graveyard. And especially, like... Because I was thinking about it more like a white-red thing, but I guess that this plus the 1-3 that pinks for 1 can be also used for your deck that is black-red for uh, making sure that every single turn you can uh, descend and get your bonuses on your crappy 3-3 menace creature, make it a 4-4 yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah, I do think the Wander Glyph is strong. Um, I just think that like red just doesn't have very much to offer. It. Like So... Generally, like a color, what you want from a color at common is like you want some strong commons, and then you want some like okay commons, and then like the, there's some stuff at the bottom that's trash, right? I just think red is missing that middle okay stuff, right? Like there's there's no like like there's a lot of just random commons that are like 
I look kind of bad. I don't know. Like the land cycler looks pretty bad. Uh, I guess the four mana removal spell is okay, but like I don't know, uh, there's like a three one haste that looks pretty bad. There's a uh, I don't know. There's just a bunch of stuff that, that just there's looks. no X one height, so that's fine. Uh, <laughs> it's like a three three. I mean, it's for your opponent's like half of your opponent's <laughs> turn, one third of your opponent's turn. <laughs> um. You can always put Atali's favor on it, and much better all of a sudden. Yeah, that's true, and I also think that their big miss is that, okay, there is the two-drop for dinosaurs that is going to be probably pretty good if you have a lot of dinosaurs. But yeah, on but the other hand, there is no good red dinosaurs. Like, there is yeah. no good red dinosaurs at common. There is the four mana, four three, and that's... Yeah, that's you have to be red-green for that, definitely. That's the other thing about like the synergies in the set is that there's like all these overlapping synergies where we were talking already about like okay, there's Jeskai artifacts and then there's sort of like Bardu descended this turn, there's Sultai descend, and then just kind of off in a corner doing its own thing is just cruel dinosaurs, right? And so I, I wonder how much like like the, if you're like the one dinosaurs drafter on the table. You just like, you know, you're getting all of these like dinosaur payoffs and no one's taking your goodies. Whereas like, you know, people might be fighting over like some of these other more like a crossover archetype synergy pieces. I think you'll be good if you're the one drafter in that color. You will not be good if you were the second drafter in that color. Sure. And I think probably people are going to want to draft dinosaurs in the dinosaur set. At least the first couple weeks. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. People, I'm still, people have been talking a lot about comparing dinosaurs to uh, red green werewolves and midnight hunt and like uh, saying like did they finally fix the red green werewolves problem from midnight hunt? We'll see. Yeah, they did we'll by not putting removal. <laughs> <laughs> not putting removal and not putting definitely a, um, a one mana artifact that deals three damage to any target all. unless it's a dinosaur where it deals million damage. That will help. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then the last we have green. Green, which has uh, green is the color of dinosaurs and also a frog. Um, so the thing about dinosaurs in green is like, I feel like a lot of the best cards are dinosaurs, uh, and just like kind of incidentally, like specifically the extra, I guess, in the land cycler are what I'm thinking about. Like the extra four, four mana four three explore is just a good card. And that gives you an instant on total dinosaur, and then like, and then the like land cycler also just seems like a decent card to me, uh, just on rates, and that's also randomly a dinosaur, so that makes your kin caller better as well. The three mana three three, and it, it often will just gain three life because you get to uh, reveal a dino from your hand. So that's interesting to me. Um, and, like, you know, the frog is also interesting to me, but like I said, with the fixing, I don't know how much it'll pan out. And then there's just, like, some graveyard, like, descent, like explore, descend stuff. Uh, I don't know how much I like the capybara, but I do like the three mana, three one vigilance that explores. Like, no X1 hate. Right? And makes it better. Um, <laughs> and also, one thing I was thinking about, I don't know how much this will pan out, but, like, specifically walk with the ancestors seems like a decently powerful card to me uh so it's a five mana rebuy something a permanent card from your graveyard discover four and specifically what i'm thinking of is what happens if you cycle your um 
forest cycler on turn two, right? Or like early game, you cycle it in a forest. And that lets you hit your fifth land drop, which lets you walk with the ancestors to return that land cycler to your hand and also cascade or like also explore for four, right? And that that could maybe be something powerful. I, I don't know whether it's actually good, uh, but <laughs> like I can imagine green playing out in a very like grindy mid range way this way. I think the I, main I miss- weakness. Yeah, sorry. I, I missed the moment where you played Frog in that game sequence. Uh, you played on turn two. You played on turn two. Okay. You cycle your land cycler on turn three and play another. And you still uh, have mana up to give death. That that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, and then you can walk with the ancestors on turn four. Um, we all, we all know. Yeah, I'm not trying to justify a whole color just for the frog. In fact, I think the weakest part of green is the two drop slot. I like the frog, but I don't like anything else at two drop really. Like uh, maybe. Maybe the capybara. Like the thing is, I think the other colors all tend to have uh, better cheap cards and expensive cards, and green seems to be the other way around. So I, I'm hopeful that green can slot into like other colors by having the other colors provide your early stuff and have green pro- provide more late game. But I don't know how much I believe that. And one card that is missing for me in this slide is the Huatli's Final Strike. Looks, yeah, it's removals, whatever. It doesn't exist. <laughs> I, don't know. I, I think removal is fine. I think uh, the Mineshaft Spider is also pretty good in the deck that wants a mill 2 effect. Four mana, three, yeah, four. Yeah, that things is good. good. It's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, no, I think it's, it's an expensive one, though. No, you don't like, that. That doesn't solve, that still doesn't solve, like, the green problem of, like, what are your two drops? What is your staggering uh, size? That, that's your two drops, staggering size. There's also the cat, right? There's this cat that whenever it attacks, it gives something trample. Um, yeah, other, but like that doesn't work very well. I don't think that works very well with the rest of the stuff that Green has because, like, your problem isn't like, oh, how do I beat? Like, the cat doesn't let you beat down very much because you just don't have other good aggressive tools other than the plus three plus three trick. I think the cat can maybe work in a, a like aggressive dinos build. But like, it doesn't. It's not like a defensive two that gets you to your expensive stuff. No, no, it's it's a bear on defense. Yeah, I, I think it'll have a role though, because if we have these one one artifact gnomes that are just going to be chump blocking our our five eyes or whatever, I don't know. It it, it might have a role potentially. Yeah, to help with racing. I'm not that worried about getting chump blocked personally, but yeah. I guess that green has decent rares, and I guess that's going to be what's going to draw you into the color. There are some uh, bangers there, I guess. Before we get to deck shells, I know we've joked about removal, but honestly, it seems like you might have to pick the removal that is out there that's actually pretty good, higher than we might normally pick it. Like the the Hotley's first strike or last strike or whatever it was, like that will probably have have an alpha that is, you know, one, two... You know, picks higher than we might normally see it because there's just no removal. I don't know what people think about that because I mean you have to have some interaction in your deck. You can't just you know jam all creatures. People will always pick removal too high as well. So like you know, <laughs> yeah, that's and, and there's some like clunkier removal options that are probably going to turn out to be pretty decent. There's like what is like the quicksand six mana white quicksand like exile mm-hmm. creature I think. But like it, it's like cost less if it's tapped, so 
I, that might be there's a uh, that card like banished from Eros that ended up being playable in Lord of the Rings. Uh, if if you really need removal to get your opponent's bomb out of the way, yep, triggers beanstalk. <laughs> <laughs> Modern playable confirmed. Yeah. It's basically leyline binding, but um... leyline binding at home. There you go. Very doesn't much at tr- home. That, that doesn't trigger descent though, so that's the problem. Um. Well, okay. speaking of creating descent, there's the boulder. If you want something that triggers descent, the runaway boulder sure does it. I think that runaway boulder may be arguably playable in a deck that plans to live longer and also wants descent and also has some things on board. I think it's it, it's going to be playable. It's not going to be that you're going to be thrilled to play it. It's not a braid. <laughs> It's not even a B braid. It's not even a C braid. It's probably a D braid, but uh, <laughs> it kills everything. Apart from two of them, and you get Galta. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll just spend twelve mana. Yeah, that's right. Well, cool. they played Galta, so I assume that you have twelve mana by then. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think it's time we got this very, very broad introduction of the format. It's time to dive into our creations, and it's going to be a lot of switching between screens, so uh, bear with me. Uh, we have built, but maybe not linked necessarily, um, uh, a bunch of uh, skeletons. Uh, as I described earlier, these are the semi-realistic uh, versions of uh, of decks that have you know, six to eight uncommons most of the time, one, two rares most of the time, and the rest is filled with commons. We try to keep it realistic so you don't put five copies of the, a braid in your decks. Uh, um, we try to make sure that this looks like something that you might have drafted at some stage. Um, and some of them will be trying to show what is the best in particular color combination. Some of them will be trying to show what we think the design team wants us to build. That does not necessarily mean that it's the best thing that you can be building. Um, sometimes we'll get our own theoretical idea that we want to showcase, and uh, we will use a particular skeleton to showcase them. Um, so, yeah, um, let's start with Azorius, and who wants to talk about Azorius? Maybe you, Adam? Yeah, sure. I'll start us off. I, I did not follow Wizard's advice. This is not a, a craft focused uh, blue-white deck. This is Boomer Magic, Blue-White Skies, you know, as, as Richard Garfield intended. So, Okay, yeah. I'm, um, I, again, I need to um, move between screens. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll look for it to come up. Yeah, if you want to, yeah, and split it out. Uh, so, I will say, I think there's a reasonable number of good one-drops uh, in the set, and I think blue and white both have uh, some of them, and it's kind of nice when, you know, many of them have evasion. You'll see three of those one drops have evasion. So they'll wear plus almost one counters pretty well, whether it's from the, um, what's the aspirant, the, the two drop in white. Yeah. Uh, that, that's nice to either make a self a two three, which is already, you know, above rate, or make a two two flyer. It can be a one two that you can do something with. Can be even a two two lifelinker. It can flyer. be, yeah. Lifelink, vigilance, you, you get all the, all the stats you want on those. Um, and then from there, you know, just you have three drop flyer, four drop flyer that bring along another piece of cardboard, whether it's a mat token or a one one. Uh, so up the curve, you're doing stuff that is reasonably static that comes with uh, additional cardboard in many places. Uh, and then you try and support that with interaction, whether it's you know two mana bounce, uh, two mana arrest, 
one mana bone splinters. You can use your map tokens, your you know whatever for that. Um, and then you try and maintain some velocity with start the course, um, or potentially you can put these equipments. I, I put two equipment in here. Uh, one of them is just uh, the hammer, acknowledging there may be some other artifacts that are useful, and it's good on a flyer. I mean, this isn't you know battlefield raptor and and pick from Kaldheim, but this can still probably make something tougher to kill with the no removal spells that exist in the format, uh, and just push some damage. And then the hat, it was card 23 because I thought it'd be cute to uh, do some, you know, looting and, and put it on a flyer and uh, have a, just a use for these extra lands you draw, because ideally you're getting to, you know, four or five lands and and just kind of sticking there. And then the, the final, uh, Jason mentioned earlier, the 4-3 the that gives your whole team plus 2 plus 1 to work well with the, the multiple, like, one ones that came from the the four drop ahead of it, or just your flyers that they probably can't block. Um, and yeah, just get them dead by turn six. Um, this did start as a craft deck, and I think somebody else, maybe it's Zach or someone else, does have a craft focus deck. But I don't even know if the, the um, sign post and common even belongs in this, but I feel like we're making some incidental artifacts, um, so maybe it, it just ends up being okay, but it very easily could just be too high of a curve, and get cut for another one drop or two drop. Yeah, that's the issue with, like, the mural, is that, like, once you craft it, you want to have more stuff and more ways to make artifacts, because that's how you keep on making 4-4s four on the backside. So, like... There's, there's some ways. We have the the 4-drop and the 3-drop that each make a map or a 1-1 one, one gnome. So, like, those oh, will nice. rock it. And then the 2-drop the bounce spell. Uh, I mean, yeah. you can use it. Um... You can even use it on your own creature if you want to have something capped to, to kind of use the ability from the, the backside of the mural. Not saying you always want to do that, but I mean, there are some decent ETBs for these creatures, so it's it's an option, potentially, if you had to get kind of fancy. So. Yeah. It looks almost identical with my build, so I'm not going to bother. <laughs> yeah, it is fairly streamlined, minus the, the weird 5-drop gold card. Yeah. yeah, I didn't put that one because it's very powerful. I did, I, I, I did put yeah, the I did put the make something into a five four because I thought it works well with the one one flyers as a finisher. Yeah, yeah, that that seems. I almost put the the make an artifact into a creature, and you get to ex, uh, discover after because I was like, there's probably enough artifacts here, but I don't know. These are all around the edges types of changes, it feels like. Yeah, I thought I, I put it, I think, in the red version because treasures yeah. yeah, are yep. good for that. Makes a ton of sense, yeah. Um, okay, we can look at a different take of that uh, in Zach's version. Yeah, mine is much more grindy mid-range. Like, and I'm looking at there's a the, the number of creatures are much lower, too. But you do have two totes and a lot of, like, removal. So, you know, this set, of course, doesn't have removal, but um, this kind of deck, I feel like, gets the most out of something like Cosmium Blast or whatever. And, you know, you're playing, you're kind of expecting to play from behind, but you are putting a bunch of permanents onto the battlefield. You're like, you know, you want to trigger all your stuff. And then once you get your payoffs, then you, like, start going over the top. And you should be able to, like, you know, make a 4-4 every turn. You know, uh, Abuelo seems very good in this deck, because, like, everything that flickers produces more value, you know? Um, 
So, like, you know, is, is this going to be a deck that's going to be perhaps possible to, to assemble and draft? Like, uh, yeah, I, I kind of like this companion, because, like, what is it? It produces a map token, right? But, like, that's two artifacts that's entering the battlefield for, for three mana. And, like, yeah, it, it is three versus the four we saw in Bro to get two artifacts, so that is nice. So, like, yeah, this oh. is much more controlling. But, like, the, the density was hiding here. <laughs> well, that's the thing, is that you need to have, like, you know, your options of removal. I think I do have, like, uh, the. I'm not sure. I, maybe I didn't put the clunky six mana removal spell in here. But you, you need to have answers for stuff because you, you're expecting to go into the late game. So this boulder actually does answer stuff. And eventually you'll have the mana to produce it. So you have play fired bricks and things. Um, so, like, this is, like, I feel like. I mean. I, there are a lot of uncommons and rares in this, so but this is like the uh, you know the version of the deck that I think Wizards kind of was pushing us to to, to create uh, the the really into artifacts and crafting. Yeah, you definitely want to be uh, deeper into artifacts if you want to play the Master's Guide mural, and obviously like Thousand Moon Smithy is probably the one of the better bombs in the format when you can. I mean, it requires a certain amount of building around, but if if you can make it, then it's going to be game-ending very quickly. And I think you could draft this set. Like, I, I feel like some of the cards that were in mind might be recognized as just stronger cards, like typically stronger cards, and they might get picked up, but I don't know who's going to take your companions or some of these, like, one-drop artifacts that you have. So, I mean, you can probably count on wheeling many of these cards if you can take some of the uncommons or the um, higher-power cards or earlier, so I don't know. It, it could happen. I mean, market... I, okay, I am high on market gnome. Like, this card seems like everything that this deck wants to do. It's a 0-3, so it blocks, and it, like, uh, when it dies, you get a card, and you're going to trade off eventually, and then you're going to eventually craft it with something, and you're going to get even more value. So you don't right, get... Uh, uh, only, yeah, you're, you're yeah, only, you only get value when you craft it from the battlefield. Yeah, yeah that. Okay. Okay, so you don't, you don't get, get a 3-4-1. One. Okay. Yeah, it's not, it's not a 3-4-1, but it is a 2-4. Okay, all right. Well, a boy can dream. Um, I guess uh, you might call that a paper roll my play. <laughs> you, you may. Also, you may call it incorrect play. But, you know. Um, all right, so I think that's basically the what this archetype is. The, the adaptive gem guard, that's like, you know... That's the, the four mana guy that like when you, you tap other artifacts you have lying around, you put counters on it. I, I figure that I had enough like little dirtily guys that are gonna be sitting on the battlefield that maybe that could be something that's like yeah, worth I doing. Was, I, I think like it is almost certainly going in this deck is almost certainly going to be a four mana four four, just straight up. Well I guess it like dies to a braid, but like it already dies to a braid. Uh, yeah. um, there's no candy grapple, there's no yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, like, it's just going to be a 4-mana 4-4 that, like, then grows every turn after that as well. And, like, you can pretty often, like, grow it quicker than that, too. So it's just a big beater. And, like, you know, maybe that's good. There's no removal, after all. At least we'll keep you up with the more dumb dinosaur kind of strategies. <laughs> because you can make it into a, something that will be able to block a, a 6-6 dino or something. I will say the nice thing, we have almost no cards that overlap 
It's like we have some of the flyers that are just clearly like two for ones. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you could potentially have both of these decks at a table and they get along very well. Uh, and then they can both be drafted, mm-hmm. which kind of does speak to the, the ability to maybe be artifact heavy drafting like they wanted versus a more uh, different type of version. I, I wonder if this, like, at least the, the kind of deck that I'm theory crafting here, it, it feels like the Azorius deck in one, right? Where it's just like, you wanted your artifact count to just be as dense as possible. And like, you know, that's one way to brew this deck. And then there's also like the Skies deck that kind of cares, you know, less at all about artifacts in general. Um, so anyways, that's, that I think is basically this build. If we want to like, if, if I can sum up Azorius in anything, I, I think, you know, I, I don't know, I think I'm pretty high on, like, both of these builds, or the board versions of the decks. I feel like Azorius kind of has, like, a pretty big glow-up from Woe, where, you know, it's kind of this ugly stepchild of uh, um, a kind of failed limited archetype. I think what Wizards is telling us to do is good, and then, like, also the blue and white are deep enough that you can probably find other builds that are going to be functional. Yeah, I think that there there is a tempo deck and there is this more grindy artifact version. Possibly Jeskai. Um, okay. Uh, let's move on to the Demir. Uh, I put mine. And again, I didn't know exactly what I want to achieve with the Demir. I assume that there is going to be um, Descended 4 as an important mechanic. I put two of the Frilled Cave Worms. I think that these are going to be my most stabilizing kind of um, uh, thing. And then potentially the turning of the corner kind of thing. Um, I put some more aggressive early stuff. I could have gone for the um, Death Touchers that mill. And probably I should replace the Songs of Stupefaction with the Death Touchers that mill because they are very similar in what they want to achieve. And I guess the 1-1 one, one Death Touch is slightly better than um, than an aura that sits on something. Um, Echoes of Dusks, these are, again, things that I can trade off early if I want to trade off early, uh, or if I have to trade off early. Hopefully not with the dead weights. I can deal with the creatures in a different way. Um, but later, they become 3-3 three, three lifelinkers. They can even become attackers, but uh, most likely they can keep my life total to at the level where I'm happy with it. I like the Waterlogged Hulk as a sort of finisher. Uh, that's the one mana artifact that taps to mill a card. It will fuel my um, uh, my uh, descent. Well, not rapidly, but I, I'm not planning to kill very quickly. And then I can flip it and uh, it becomes this um, vehicle with crew one, which is cheap. It's a 4-4 Vigilance, uh, and when I have Descent 8, it becomes unblockable. So that's like the way to finish the game. Because I'm playing a longer game, I can assume that uh, this is going to become unblockable at some stage. And being a vehicle, um, it's exposed to very little removal because lots of the things that can kill it are sorcery speed, and then it's not a creature. Arguably, the black removal for 5 mana can kill a vehicle as well, I guess. Um... But okay, that's that's the thing. I have the Chupacabra's Echo because um, I am fueling my graveyard. Uh, River Herald Scouts are either helping me to stay with my mana because I can be a bit more hungry, 
but also they can be a 2-3, which is a very good early blocker. Um, I said dead weights are decent um, and fueling descent and then dealing with the aggressive decks. Uh, I put this Oraska puzzle uh, door that also fuels descent and gives me some kind of card selection. Um, and yeah, it very well fuels the descent. Um, what else do we have here? I put one of those. I don't know exactly how good it is. I just think that most of the time it will be a free to flyer. Uh, ich bin back is good because, um, uh, in this particular deck, I don't necessarily need to draw it. I can just mill it and it will just come back. So as a free sort of card. Um, and if I draw it, I can play it. Five mana, six, four is good enough. Uh, menace will probably mean that trades two for one because, uh, because six power will most likely kill both of the blockers, uh, if I play it right. Um, I somehow like this card, and I don't know if I'm right about it. It's a one three death toucher. Uh, when it uh, is when I have decent four, uh, I it, it will draw a card at while at this attack, which will motivate my opponent to block it. Uh, definitely, hopefully, hopefully I I I I can clear the path for it with my removal. Um, I am not sure. I think that this deck still need some um, additional things, especially when it comes to card draw. I thought that, you know, I can get the extra value from the hidden cataracts and hidden necropolis um, to sort of discover my things. But I guess like the good card to uh, to play in it would be also the thing that mills two cards and returns two creatures from graveyard to hand. Um, I do have an atrocious bomb, which hopefully will seal the deal. Um, yeah, it's going to probably take some time to build a good version of blue-black in this format, uh, if, 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 if it's even possible. Because I think that, weirdly, I think blue does not fit that particularly well with this long game in this format. Uh, so I'm not sure if Demir is going to be best thing to do in the first days. I'm pretty sure. Actually, I'm pretty sure it's not going to be. But um, there is some potential there. I just will need to select the exact right cards um, that work the best in order to quickly allow you to descend four. Because I think that descending four is the name of the game here. Because uh, things like Echo of Dusk, they really need to have those four permanents in your graveyard. Which also limits the amount of uh, uh, spells that you will play. I mean, as you can see, I only have two spells that are not permanents, and that's Join the Dead and Bitter Triumph. Both of them are really good removal spells. There's one card that I find kind of notably absent here, which is uh, Sage of Days, which is the, the three drop that, like, mills, but, like, you can put one on top. Um, that seems like, you know, kind of what you want in these kind of, like, stock your yard, uh, Demure decks. Like that that will help you like hit descend it descend four will help you hit like you know for some of these payoffs you need descend eight. I guess that's more like Golgari or some of those. But um that's like I think a fine maybe not super exciting, but this is like the home for it free drop. Yeah, it's basically um like that flashback spell from um from Midnight Hunt, but on a stick that is a 3-2, which I guess it's a pretty decent 
decent value. Uh, yeah, I think Arsenal is right that there is some graveyard hate at common, and um, mm-hmm. it can be a problem for that deck if you are going too much into um, too much into uh, the descent strategy. And I think that this blue black still can have this sort of like flying tempo kind of uh, deck because there is a bunch of blue flyers that are quite aggressively statted. There is the black flyer that mills. Yeah. Attacks. Yeah. I, I, I did that. I didn't do descend at all in mine. I figured it just wasn't gonna be juice worth the squeeze. <laughs> Maybe it is, but well, I have to. Say, I, I think that it will be worth the squeeze if like thirty six cards in your deck are descent fodder, and yeah, you can basically. I, I, I descend in green black. Like I lean into a little more there. Um, I just wasn't sure if it was quite worth it. Uh, in this one. Um, it, it, may be. Want, it may be the great like, mistake. Yeah, <laughs> but you want like stuff that like it gives you value from your graveyard, and like I guess the the signpost does that. There is this kind of random uh, uh, spell with flashback in blue. Like I think it's six mana or something. Makes a copy. Um, that's like something that you can put in your yard and get value from when you mill. Although it's not a permanent, so it doesn't really help for descend itself uh so that's intention there there is kind of a lack of like stuff that really provides you value when you mill it if we're not talking about like oh like craft fodder like the payoff is the 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 descend cards yeah right what do we have in terms of practice practice small game by adam so uh, let me just uh, swap it. Yeah, yeah I'm, 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 I'm curious how Demir is going to work. Um, I did put some other archetypes in there that I think if you like refresh the the page, you'll see. But like, uh, I, no, I can't refresh it now. I'm not refreshing it. it oh, no, wait, because I'm, I can actually because I'm not. I'm, am I sharing? No, I'm not sharing this slide. Okay, but maybe I can. But like, if, if there's something like really notable in our difference in our builds, then I'll bring it up. Yeah, but yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, we can just run with what we got. Uh, we have the okay. This should just be racked as two drops, probably. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the so obviously these are colors that are going to actually give you the removal that does exist in the set. So it's figuring out how best can you leverage that, and if you're playing ways to either like take cards from their hand with cards like the. Skull, Cat, Snail, um, or the Deep Cavern Bat, um, plus, you know, fairly well-cost removal if you can get a Braid, if you can get um, Dead Weight, Join the Dead. And ideally, you have, you know, some threat, maybe it's just a, you know, a 3-2 or a 2-2, whatever, uh, that can get in some damage, you can keep their board relatively clear, and you just um, try and play a, a small game and get your one and a half for ones, two for ones, um, the curve stops at four, but the four drops are, you know, a, a two for one in the geological appraiser, a, a two for one in the Chupacog Bro Echo, um, this mycoid that, um, if you're trying to play a small game, you're trading off some stuff, uh, might give you some one ones that, uh, eventually when their board only has, you know, like zero to two creatures, might be able to get in for some damage. Um, so it's nothing super crazy, um, but it is just trying to, double spell as soon as, you know, turn three, turn four, and try and take the resources out so 
your little guys can can do some stuff. I'm wondering, there is this two mana aura that gives plus two plus O oh, and then basically returns the creature back from the graveyard. I oh. thought about that. I didn't have great like some of the ETBs obviously like the appraise the four drop, but the echo and the appraiser obviously would be pretty good for that, and the discard card would be pretty good. Um, but snails. I, thought, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. oh, snails pretty good. Yeah, yeah. you build uh, your own racto scam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, yeah, more, more or less. Yeah, this is basically grief, right? Yeah, it's yeah, practically better than grief because it exiles. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They they don't get their their descend. No, they don't get descend four or anything. It's you game. also like uh, you didn't put too many of those cards that have descent, like except for Mycoid maybe. But if you play it on anything, the aura goes to graveyard, which triggers your descended trigger. So I guess that that's oh, that is true. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I had written it off as being like okay, but it's probably a little better um, here because there's maybe enough ETVs. Um, it's pretty good with the snail, I think, because that's yeah, the snail will be pretty good because you can do that on turn. Three even. I mean, it's it's not quite you know blue black ninjas like a neo where you're like you know do you block do you not block or anything. But I mean, it can probably trade up and get another card from them. Um, so yeah, it might it might have a role for sure. To be clear, um, even if a creature goes into the graveyard and then leaves the graveyard later, that still counts right. as having descended. Like, right. All it cares yeah. about is whether anything went into your grave. Yeah, but yeah, I guess the the snail will exile their cards. So they wouldn't even. Well, if they won't really have to send on their turn prior where it matters unless they turn on like the send four or the send eight, I guess. Yeah, I, I think that's what that anyway. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. Um boom. I like Atali's favor in this deck because we are we are aggressive and then like we both we're right. aggressive or also like like I mean that's the whole point of small game, right? Is that we're uh Diminishing our opponent's resources while growing our resources. Right. If you go the Tali's favor on a creature and you hit a snail, oh like, yeah, oh you got a stew cooking. Oh yeah, you you play your snail, you play Tali's favor, you hit another snail, and now you have a two-two snail attacking them with trample. Big game. You play your other snail. Oh yeah, now we're we're living large. I think the correct term is you got some stew going. Got some stew going. Yes, yeah, snail stew. I like it. Delicious. Yeah. I, thought but that I, I will say, I, I don't mind hitting any of the, the two drops or, or one drops with the Tally Saber, which is why I don't feel too bad about this. Or even the, if you happen to hit a three, I mean, it's, you'll gladly put a four three into play. But yeah, I mean, happy with any of the stuff that it would hit, pretty much. Maybe yeah. you don't want to hit the Fanatic Offering. Yeah, yeah, Fanatic Offering would be a, a little I'll just put that to hand, and, and it'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You can always put yeah. it in your hand. Okay, um... Uh, dinos. I I have my dinos. Always pull up your dinos. I figured like dinos would just be like build itself and like, whatever. What what if you you people will make dinos for me? <laughs> like what you you have you have your two drop that scales. You have your yeah two it's, drop it's, dino payoff. It's very much on rails. You know you have your pick of like dino rares. There we go. Um. We have your one mana ramp into dinos. You have your cavalries that get bigger when you have dinos. You have your one frog so that Jason doesn't complain. Um, I think frog's good here. You need to stay alive. You need to ramp. I think it checks the bottom. It's mainly for ramping purposes, yeah. yeah. 
And it, um, it's important to have. I think it's strong just a strong card. I don't know. It's it's just a strong card. Uh, but Earlink is obviously busted. Uh, so is 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 it's Quint. Um, the problem is sort of in the three drop. Uh, there is the three three that gains three life, and hopefully in this version it will gain three life a lot. There is the trashing beep, uh, which is just good on rate and potential removal. Uh, I think this this one is pretty good. Three mana four three is always decent. Um, not letting people play instant thing <laughs> can be pretty decent. It's um, like that from Brothers War that like said players can't gain life. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Um, Colossodactyl, just Raid Monster again. This Raid Monster. Uh, I put Geological Appraiser um, because I can hit quite a decent chunk of stuff. And if not, I can keep it in my hand. Like if I have the uh, Malamed Battle Cliff or Watley's Final Strike that I don't want to use. Um, I put one Rumbling Rock Slide. I don't know why. Triumphant Chomp is premium in the deck, I guess, because it will most of the time deal 3-4 damage. Um, and then, yeah, Earthshaker, Dreadmaw, uh, Seismic Monstrosaur is a card you can put. You can put the green version of it. You can put the 6-mana 7-7. Seven, seven. It doesn't really matter. A big dinosaur will do. And Palani's Hatcher is looking like a pretty busted card in this deck. 5-mana, five 5-3, five, Makes a 3 3 haste the turn it comes into battlefield and then makes another 3 3 if it survives. And uh, also, you can curve it into another dinosaur and it gets also haste. So, yeah, that's pretty great. But I think it's it's a deck that is very easy to visualize, but I don't think it will come together very often because you need to hit quite a lot of uncommons that are quite important for the deck. Because when you see it, I have Belliger and Deerling, the, uh, the Ramp Guy, uh, is, Qu- is it Quint? Uh, this thing is an uncommon, this thing is an uncommon, this thing is an uncommon, this thing is an uncommon. Uh, and when you cut all those uncommons, you're ending up with Burning Sun Cavalry, which is rubbish on its own. Um, premium removal that you have to pick early, so you can't pick those uncommons. And uh, jaws that are going to be contested outside of the dinosaurs. So, uh, yeah. And yeah, I think that the chat is 100% correct. People are going to be very hot on dinosaurs early, and I don't think it's going to be an open archetype. But it's easy to draft when it's there. I want to do a green-red frog from treasure instead of dinos. And I'm sure you will be much uh, more successful because it will be probably very underdrafted. So that's my dinosaurs. I will give it a, a B. Um if I had this version of it, but I will never get that version of it, so who cares? Um, did you have something different, Adam? No, I think we're probably within 18 to 20 cards of each other. Yeah, I had to do a quick scan. Okay, well, yeah, because because it is on rails. I think that this is like yeah. the, the easiest one to visualize uh, what it does, because there's just so few options, and that's probably one of the problems that this deck will be having. Um, I will put now Zach on the spot with his, um, with his, uh, green, white caves. Okay. Cause I'm, my, it tickled my interest. Yeah, I, I am interested in this one cause I did not put many caves in my deck. Well, I wanted to build a cave. It didn't start as green, white caves. This was the first archetype I built because I wanted to visualize what the cave deck looked like. 
and I looked at all of the payoffs, and I decided that I did want to make a deck that where Back Colony would be functional. Because um, Back Colony looks very powerful if you can cast it for with a bunch of caves. Um, and I also want to have the the cave-in, because that's, that's the gate, Gates of Blades, right? So, obviously, you're looking at this, and you're like, well, we're, we're splashing different colors, right? Uh, uh, but it's not exactly green-white entirely. But I want to be able to benefit from the green cards that care, care about caves and the colorless cards that care about caves. And I want to leverage some of the white removal, like Cosmium Blast, which you know you could probably find two of them if you need it, that are like good when you're defensive. Because this deck is going to be, you know, from behind a lot, right? And I think probably there also would be like a Golgari Chaos, right? Because like the, the black payoff is fine. It's like the 5-5 five, five lifelink. But like, I was just looking at this, right? And I was trying also trying to follow the rule of like only eight uncommons. Uh, it, a lot of the caves are uncommons. And like, uh, the big problem is that the caves don't really fix your mana. Even though you want to be a splash around deck, they don't really fix your mana. So you, like, you can't really, like, it's going to be very greedy to be five color caves. So you kind of have to cut a color. I was thinking that black is going to be contested anyway. White, you might be able to, to get into, and it has like this these removal spells. So this is kind of the brew that I came up with, um, where you're mainly green, and your white is your like support color. Because white is very deep, and then you have some of the cave payoffs. Like you have uh, in blue, you have the dinosaur. I think it's somewhere here, um, which helps you. Uh, yeah, which is like your one blue card that you're splashing. Which helps you, um, you know, which helps you like refuel. Like maybe after you've like board wiped with the uh, red white, and now you play the dinosaur, you refuel. Notably, the white cycler, the sunwing, uh, whatever the soaring sunwing, gains life when you cast it. So it's another card that's like pretty good when you're behind. Um, so and. I think this caves deck is going to be very hard to come together because of like the mana is super sketch in this build. I'll you know be completely fair. <laughs> and uh, the the other thing is that um, some of the cave build arounds like look like they could be traps. Like there's that card Splunking, which is like is can you ever put that card in your deck? I'm not sure. <laughs> um, you can uh, if you're playing Amulet Titan in the modern. I, I don't think these cards will be contested. If you want to draft this deck, I think you'll be able to get a lot of them. Maybe the frog will be contested, but yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm high on campus guide. My, my, uh, the the yep. compass gnome. I think, like, honestly, it might be like we ended one with like you wanting one of those dune shifters in any deck, even if you were pretty aggressive. And I think you know it's going to be premium here. You know, you might have to fight over them. Um, later in the format, when people if people like form this opinion, um, so yeah, this is just kind of like uh, base uh, Slesnia go long and then hope to be able to turn on your uh, your cave payoffs. Uh, I thought that like nine caves would be like sort of the high end of like the number of caves you'll be able to put in your deck. Um, like probably you have to really be going for that. In order to get nine caves in draft, but I remember like in the gate formats and stuff, sometimes you could really get a high number of, of non basics if you were like the one person that was doing that. 
yeah, it's going to be either it's going to be atrociously open in week one and then overdrafted in week two, three, four, if it turns out to be good, or it's going to be completely overdrafted in week one and then you're going to get it like late in the format. I think it's one of those decks. I don't know if there's just enough payoffs for it to be good. And it's not even the number of payoffs of the deck. I think that caves are worse than gates were. In for sure. Their nature. And that's the, that's, I think, the problem with, with, uh, with the deck. But, um, and it's on these, like, rares, like, like, there's a rare cave in here, which is, like, honestly, it's, uh, Probably just worse than um, Edgewell Inn. Um, I think it's the Captain Cave, maybe, or it's the Sunken Citadel. It's one of those. It's Sunken Citadel. But it's like I can never tell if it's that simple. But you know, it's, it functions similar to Edgewell Inn, except it's that rare. And then it's got like some additional attacks that maybe you'll care about sometime. I don't know. Um, but you just need to get the density of caves, so you're going to be spending picks on them. And then the Cosmium Confluence isn't, like, honestly that powerful of a payoff, but, like, no one else is going to want this card, so you're going to find it if it's open and you're the Caves deck. Can make three three threes or one nine nine, or get your Cave and make a 6-6 six, six hasty something. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. You grab Triplet. You're, you're golden. <laughs> if you're the Caves deck, and then, like, so you have to really spend all of these... You know, you're spending all these picks on caves, so you're... This is... I'll admit, this is questionable, but I think, like, this is a home for these cards. You know, people are going to open these cards cards at the table. You're going to draft, like, you know, if you're sickos like us, you know, we're going to draft caves, you know, a few times. Maybe it's going to turn out that caves is better than we think. Um, but I wonder what the, the decks will actually look like. Yeah, I, I'm going to show my caves later, but uh, because it's in a different archetype. But um, yeah. we can, I guess, move to the white black, which I think is going to be a very, very solid deck, and we're going to show Adam's version of it. Uh, present. Yeah, white and black appear to be deep. That is, that is for sure. Um, this is it. Mana value separate the creature. Yep. So, so this one's looking to try and be. Proactive, try and put uh, some cards down and um, interact with the bonus cards so you can you know, swing through with whether you have some like Iron Paw Aspirant that's going to be under-costed. Uh, we have some of the flyers, again, with like the Bat and the Guidewing. Uh, it's kind of what White's offering. Black obviously has a lot of the, the interaction that appears to be um, reasonably priced, whether it's Join the Dead or Deadweight, like we mentioned before. Um, I do think we haven't really talked much about fanatical offering, but it feels like this is a, a potential deck that could use it. Maybe not as well as a deck that has like more artifacts, but I think you're still going to have some of like the, the free booter that you're happy to sack, the Iron Pot Aspirant. If you put your plus one plus one counter on another creature, you're happy to sack. Uh, from the the Cloud Guard, the four drop, you can sack the the gnome. So I think you're able to get some velocity. You see some. Cards there as you continue double stone throughout turns, uh, and you just put some creatures down, kill their creatures, and and keep attacking. So nothing super crazy here. I just think a lot of the cards are well positioned to be one and a half or two for ones. No love for totes. Yeah. Oh, is that the the three drop that puts the one ones in there? Yeah. Yeah. Probably should have had that in there. I think I was running out of 
out of space. Uh, I think I'd rather have the the four drop that's a flyer if I had to choose between the two. Like, you know, pack three, pick three, and I had to choose between the two of them. That one might play a little better because it gives you a little bit of evasion. Um, but yeah, I, I can see that being very useful, especially with, with the fanatical offering as, as an artifact to sack with some bodies left behind. Uh, that if you get a Bartolome or, or two, then yeah, I, I think that kind of goes up in your pick order because it's a lot of on a sack fodder. Yeah, you can also play the two mana artifact that draws a card and then draws another one when you sacrifice it if you have multiple sacrifice uh, fodders. I think I, I in my version I also put a bunch of those three mana three twos that you can sack something to put two plus one plus one counters. Cause, I, uh, I thought about really leaning to that. I'd be interested in seeing yours because I think quite go that far down the, the rabbit hole. I, yeah, I think I went uh, I, I, we can we can get there after you're done with yours. No, I, I'm good. I mean, I, this is... The one card that I think is kind of weird here is like Guardian of the Great Door just because like you're going to want to be like sacrificing your little stuff in this deck instead of like going wide right? Like oh, Yeah, the hope is to sack it after you've done your Guardian, um, but that, that may not always happen. Yeah, I think Guardian probably does fit better in the deck we were generating a, a few more artifacts so maybe it goes in like a blue white or like a red white a little better than black white mm-hmm. um, but yeah I, I think you still can make multiple like put multiple things on the battlefield or you might be able to have it cost cost you know four mana rather than you know six mana I don't even remember what I put in mind uh, <laughs> boop, boop. um I will say this this does have a chance while you're pulling that up, you can have your mischievous pup to this is a deck to have pop pick up like your Chupacabra Echo or, oh, sure. or you know, skull cat snails, things like that. Yeah. They're nice if you're spring loaded doll blades. Yeah. Yeah, I have the Dusk Rose Reliquary yep. here and Tinker's Totes, uh, on top of what you had, and the Glorifier of Suffering. Yeah. Um, mainly to pump those one-one flyers very quickly with the iron for aspirant, and then uh, maybe glorifier of suffering to sacrifice the aspirant to put another counter on the uh, playwig or the bat or something like that. Um, one, two, three. That looks really good. Yeah. Then obviously the Bartolome del Presidio. Um, obviously some busted my think because why not? Um, I don't know. I put this card. I'm I'm not sure if that's gonna be great in it. But it makes my sacrifices give extra plus one plus one counter eventually, which uh, has some kind of a merit, I guess. Um, I also put the Guardian of the Great Door, but I do have more of the sort of standing on the board artifacts that that can be tapped for uh, for its cost. I think that also, like if you play those decks, maybe the one mana uh, bring something from the graveyard back to play is going to be playable in this. It doesn't do artifacts, it only does creatures, yep. It's good with the, the Guardian, for sure. Uh, and it could be good with your um, Glorifier. Yeah, it's got some pretty good hits. Um, yeah, but uh, in the end, quite similar decks. I just like went more on the uh, Generate Bodies uh, for Sacrificing uh, Roots. I don't think that it's still like optimal in terms of how many things I can have for Sacrifice. I also have the Vanguard of the Rose. Yeah. Which is not exactly seasoned Hallow Blade, but um, has at least some vibes of it. And as we know, there is no X1 height and no removal, so the one toughness doesn't matter that much. And it's one of the very few 
two mana free ones, which is, uh, I guess, potentially interesting. And also, if you can make it into a four, two, five, three, that's uh, that's a big game. Somehow, Echo of the Dusk made also into this deck. <laughs> uh, right, pirates. Zach, are you happy with your pirates? Uh, sure. I think it. I considered it more of like go wide treasure generators. So like. And you, you do have pirates. There are some pirate typal stuff going on. But like more than that, you're just generating a bunch of artifacts onto the battlefield and you're getting value from that. Okay. Here we have your pirates. So I dropped down to 16 lands just because of the amount of treasure generators that we have. Um, which you know, may, might be questionable. I'm not sure if that's right in the format yet. But you have a lot of ways to turn your treasures and your... Like, you're not splashing here. I was like trying to think of what I would splash. Maybe like some uh, white cards or some black removal or something. Uh, white signpost would make a lot of sense here to splash, actually, because you're doing the artifact. Oh, sure. That's yeah. just like more of like a grindy card. And man, this deck kind of wants like, you know, end the game, right? Mm-hmm. So... You have, uh, uh, you have, of course, the signpost that cares about generating uh, artifacts. You have the pickaxe and the minecarts and the belligerent. These are all just make treasures, which help escalate your, your game plan. Uh, the plundering pirates make treasures. And then you have a few just like random pirate payoffs, like the waylaying pirates, which maybe you want to have like two of. Um, and I put this strider in at the top of the curve just because, like, you know, I figure we might just like have generated a million treasures and uh, have them sitting on the battlefield without really necessarily a payoff for them. And you can put them into the strider and uh, uh, get some payoff from that. Um, the glyph, I figure we're making so many treasures. We have just so many incidental artifacts. The, the glyph has like putting that on a treasure seems like pretty big game. Also, it like discovers when it dies. So you just get a lot of like incidental value, um, and you're really hoping to turn your you know goblin tomb raiders into you know goblin guys, you know hasty guys. If you generated a treasure, yeah, I think one thing is that you do have. <laughs> I would have liked the wander glyph. It's the one red two two that rummages on attacks as an artifact. I yeah, like yeah. That. that makes I sense with that your pseudo goblin guide. Yeah. That for sure should be in there for sure. Yeah, I think a couple of more artifacts might be might be useful there. Yeah, or even the scallywag. I know it's an uncommon, and you might have been pressed on uncommon. This another two drop. You can get artifacts when you get descended. There's like a few like there's some tension here, right? Because Mm -hmm. like you know you want to have want to up your pirate count or some of your pirate payoffs, right? Like Mm -hmm. breaches really pays you off if you have pirates. and you know the way like pirates, and um, then you also want to have artifacts, right? And so there's a little bit of tension there, but a lot of your pirates just that's instantly why you play pirates that make artifacts, like plundering pirate. Yes. Well, <laughs> there you go. What? What? what oh, uh, there is the pirate that makes yeah. it. No, the the one mana, the one mana uh, flyer. Yeah, he's the blue one. Yeah, I think that'd be really good. Um, Spyglass Siren. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, that one seems like. Definitely prima place for it. Oh, that that's a pirate. Yeah, yeah, yeah pirate oh, yeah. siren. Okay, well that, that's uh, that's a big game. Get in the deck. Yeah. 
It's it's a, it's a great card. Okay, um, black green. Whose turn is it? I know it goes. Yeah, yeah. I, I I have a black green, but I don't think it's linked on the, the sheet here. Yeah, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be yeah mind and present. Black green, I think, is pretty straightforward. You just put, you know, uh, you have a like twenty permanent deck. Or well, not including lands. Yeah. Um. Ooh, I like the defossilize. This is kind of the home for like. There is kind of like a reanimator thing going on. Hey, I was looking for your cyclers. Yeah, there they are. Uh, yeah. So I basically did this. I mean, I have a lot of self mill. Um. I have those two drops that become relevant in the late game: Echo of Dusk and the Capybara. Um. Deathcap marionettes to sort of let me survive and mill. Uh, then, of course, you have the Aquai and then Koati Scavenger is also pretty decent in those decks because it will be sort of a great digger. Uh, Deadweights as a good removal because it triggers my, um, my descent. A spider, one spider because it's another mill source. Um, I have the Chupacabra. It's just very good in this deck. This thing should be triggering at least some amount of the time. Um, I don't know. I do like that card some, for some reason. Uh, so I put it in. Uh, and obviously two land cyclers, uh, because they again trigger my descent, but also can be a target for the defossilize, uh, which also can technically fill in my graveyard if I choose to. And then, uh, another chance, another way, way of, uh, getting card draw out of your mills. Um, and there are a couple of other cards that I think that can be potentially good in this deck, uh, like this silly treasure card that you can activate from your graveyard to uh, uh, to discover five, for example. So I, I, I would see that those kind of cards might be good. The more mill you have, the better those cards are going to be because the lower the chance that you're actually going to draw it, which is something you want to avoid. But yeah, it's a relatively straightforward deck. Um, some removal, early survival, and then hopefully getting to big things later and, and, and outvaluing your opponent and using some of that mill into your advantage by uh, by cards like Another Chance or... Oh yeah, I put this one. I thought there would be an interesting thing uh, to put in a grindy deck. The Corpses of the Lost, that's a three mana enchantment. Uh, skeletons you control get plus one plus O. Oh, and no, is Marionette a skeleton? Of course it's not. Uh, I assume that there are no skeletons in the, in the format except for the ones that it makes. It makes a 2-2 skeleton on the ETB. And at the um, at the end step, uh, if I descended this turn, I can play one life and return this to my hand, so I can replay it, make another uh, three two skeleton, and hopefully by that I can just amass an army of some sorts. And this card reminds me a lot of, in in some way, of the disinformation campaign and uh, Delvin's acuity as a sort of this kind of recursive source of value that uh, aligns with what my deck is trying to do. So. It's not the strongest bomb you can put in this deck, obviously, but I think it's just an interesting card that you might keep in your mind um, uh, and putting in this type of deck when you plan for a longer game and you want to accrue this small ball kind of value. Yeah, I can also see this card like being good in Demir because, like, that's the one. Like, the, the payoff is like you mill it and then you, uh, if you descend and you pay one life, you return it to your hand. And then, like that, that way you're getting benefit from your mill. That's the honestly better than the the signpost uncommon. You're, you want to mill this card. Uh, 
Oh yeah, it makes it makes your Uchben pack uh, bigger because it's a skeleton. Yay! <laughs> and there is there is another card that makes skeletons. There's this like uncommon removal spell eaten by piranhas that turns something into a skeleton. So if your opponent uses that against you, and then you go three mana, ha! No, my skeleton's bigger. Get in. Bed, uh, bed removal made even worse. Um, because you assume that I will never play that card correctly. Um, yeah. Um, also, like, advantage of playing this in the green is that green will have several cards that can return a permanent from your graveyard to your hand. So even if you mill the corpses of the lost, I can get it back with my Coatly Scavenger, for example. Because that returns target permanent card from graveyard to uh, your hand. So there is a small, small, small value to be. I also see this deck easily being like some kind of a, uh, if you have more frogs, uh, some kind of Sultai concoctions when you just add like two, three cards uh, from blue that will fit perfectly into your, like some sort of late game kind of um, gameplay. Then maybe you can play the blue land cycler to make sure that your splash is more efficient and then you can recur that. It's a little awkward because all the land cyclers have two pips. Where, where in like Mom, uh, March of the Machine, there were some cyclers that only had one pip, right? Like the the white and the red ones only had one pip, and so like I don't think anyone ever like. I, I think that this set is just designed heavily to be playing two colors. Yeah. Like they they everything that they did is saying you want to be playing two color decks in this format, and we're still gonna try to uh, completely ignore those advices and try to build five color something. Yeah, honestly, I think it's designed for two or fewer colors. <laughs> I would say. Jason like, activated. I knew that this will this will this will make it happen. <laughs> Jason, do you think that there's going to be like what do you see as the monocolor deck then? Um, I don't know, mono white, mono black. I like not actually mono, but just like heavy. When I say two minus, I mean like heavy one color splashing. Not really splashing, but like less on the second. Like yeah. twelve five land split sort of thing. Like so when I made my like Rakdos archetype, I was just like you know, kind of hastily dumping cards while you guys were setting up, and I just noticed that oh, I have six red cards. <laughs> like <laughs> you know, I'm just so heavily black, and I can definitely see just because like how deep uh, the Orzhov colors are, and you end up with some pretty skewed deck. Do, 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 do. Mono value separate no creatures. Close this crap. Uh, open another. Uh, not crap because it's not mine. Open another thing. Uh, it's Adam's uh, explore concoction. Yeah, this one isn't super crazy. I mean, it, it has cards that explore and cards that benefit from you exploring. So it's that's not super wild. The things that I do think are kind of neat are the spells. So I like all the ones that cost three, because you can play all of them at instant speed. Um, so you can get your value with, you know, in the presence of ages, or you can, you know, do confounding riddle, or you can use your interaction spell, the first strike. So I think it's kind of nice to have that optionality. Um, and because the instant play well together, you can also have your um, one in a blue balance, where you can hopefully get a map token to set up some explore action. Either put it on you know, your flyers, or, or proc from the, the gold card, the uh, the green, blue, two, three. Uh, and then from there, there's some often just some dinosaurs to help you punch through uh, if you need to. But you're trying to play more of a more of a mid-range game and make multiple threats um, and just have some interaction you can hold up um, and have some counter spells to kind of back it up if you need to. Um, I am curious people's thoughts on the, 
a five drop counter spell because I, I don't think it will be artistic refusal level good, but I think it's not going to be unplayable. Like, I think it'll probably be like, I don't know, C plus level, but I don't know if people have any thoughts about that. I, I, I like it in my tempo decks. Yeah. When I built like first, first couple of turns, I built literally the board that they have to respect and then I sit behind it and they just, uh, Either have to play small things I can ignore or have to risk playing a bigger thing and that just is uh, backbreaking at that yeah. stage. Yeah, because this is where I liked it. I, I wasn't quite sure if it would work well in a more controlling deck, so, so maybe it can, but you're going to be too far behind here. I feel like you'll have a board, you have other things to do at instant speed, they have to respect. Uh, so you can always, you can probably hold up a five mana counter spell and, and be alright. So. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it, Crazy. It looks at least that this deck is going to be pretty much dependent on getting the Nikon Zeal. Yeah, I, I think that that will be a good card to, to get if you can. I, I don't think it folds without it, because it can have some evasion, it can have some beef, and have some interaction, but I, I think it'll be noticeably different if you have the, the gold uncommon. There's a few other like payoffs that aren't in this deck. There's like the Murpho Cave Diver, which is the 2-4 mm. drop. It gets plus one plus oh. That's in my version of this deck. And then also there's the, the Lantern, which uh, is in a green equipment, one-man equipment, and whenever the creature attacks, it explores. And that's kind of what is nice with Nick Hanzeel, because then you have the like repeatable explorer. And there's also the Seeker of Sunlight, which is, I'm not sure if you have that in the deck. I, I don't believe I haven't had that one, yeah. So... You know, just like kind of repeatable ways to turn on Explore and get that kind of value. And then I, I wouldn't even say that like you would want more top end because like Explore guarantees that you're going to hit your higher land counts or higher number of lands in the battlefield. And so you want mana sinks. You want yes. things to like, you know, you want a boom boom that's going to like, I mean, you have the Stomper, but like mm-hmm. I would want like maybe a little something more to do with my mana because I know there's another one. There, there's a, a land cycler next to it. It's just not showing up. But yeah, th- oh, it probably could be a little higher. But yeah, it, it could probably be more than three, four cards that cost five or more. Uh, I mean, I, ideally you're trying to the double spell you're doing your presence mm-hmm. in the ages to get you know a land and make sure you hit your land drops and a spell to play next turn. But yeah, I mean, it, it could probably have you know another one or two. Know, five or six drops, or it could have your mana seek like the one drop you can continue to explore. I, I was a little worried about being too linear and just like leaning too heavily into explore. Um, but yeah, it is a mana sink that you could use if you're hitting your land drops, which you probably should be if you're doing explore, or you'll just have you know above rate creatures and then it might be okay if you're stuck on four or five lands. So, so here's the question for like the, the team here Do we think that this is going to be like the first set in a while where? Simic is a thing, and someone could be like, oh, I'm, I'm drafting Simic, and, you know, they're not sad? <laughs> or or is this going to be, like, kind of fall in the same traps of Simic archetypes that we've seen in the last several sets? I'm, I'm probably, I'm not going to force Simic, let's, let's put it like Yeah, that. I think it's going to be the best color pair, let's put it that way. No, sure, no, I, sure. I think I'm probably in any other blue X deck, um, but if I start in blue and you know, if someone passes me some good green cards that I'm not seeing coming open, then yeah, I, I will, you know, explore that option unintended. So. And there's a couple, like, merfolk tribal, tribal things going on, but, like, it's, they're at, like, I think, rare. Um, 
So yeah, when you tap a merfolk, you make a merfolk. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd like to believe that could happen, but yeah, it seems like dinos was the, the type all they went for. So I'm, yeah. And I didn't um, put any rares or mythics in these, so maybe it is worth putting in here. But I, I didn't explore that option. Uh, I'm going to go for my version on top of it because I promised that I will show. I have a cave version of it. Ooh, okay. We have, this is the Simic Caves. I like Simic Caves. I think that's the price. Yeah. Well, the thing is that Explorer already looks for lands, so you can play more of those. Um, so as you see, uh, most of the cards are very similar. I put the Seeker of Sunlight. I think that it's a good mana sink. And, you know, a one drop that can later become a mana sink with Nikan Zil, it becomes quite oppressive if you start using it a couple of times a turn. Um, and on top of this classic, uh, classic explore package i put the uh, cave diver i think it's a good finisher for this deck and it's a very good um, uh, speed bump as well because two four is quite uh, quite good against uh, any aggressive strategies the four toughness is going to be quite large uh, on top of that I, I i did put just like one gargantuan leech um one uh benthosaur uh bat colony i didn't put the sweeper even in this because i'm too heavy on creatures myself to uh, to be playing it I'm thinking about like supplementing my strategy with with some extras, um, and then I assume that you're going to be able to get some number of caves during your draft. And having like one scampering surveyor, but easily could become also the two one because I guess that the uh, compass gnome is actually decent when you can re- explore straight after you played it and get the card directly. Um, so yeah. So do you think that? The- is this a... Uh, okay, so you have two cards that I think are interesting, which is uh, Over the Edge and Staggering Size. Is this... So both of the se- these seem a little bit strange and like sort of more... Maybe this is more of a mid-rangey deck where, you know, we uh, explore a bunch and we have a, a big, you know, merfolk or whatever and then we uh, give a trample and then we're, we're, we, we went out that way. Um, you could turn out a nine nine with the Cosmium uh, confluence uh, is 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 in the range of the deck. So um, yeah, generally I I see that the problem of this deck is that it's gonna clog the situation and you have to break the clog either through the cave diver which you cannot always use or mm-hmm. uh, by building up something big and then uh, staggering size it. And then uh, over the edge. How do we feel about this card? This, this, this to me struck me as a sideboard card. It does explore twice. Ah, okay. If I choose so. So I'm playing it as a sort of um, sideboard card in the main deck because it can do something that will promote my main theme. Yeah, like, if you're exploring twice is either divination if you hit two lands, right? But you only draw lands. Or um you hit a land and then you get a counter or you get two counters and like some scrying or you get four counters when you have nikon zeal <laughs> sure sure <laughs> so like yeah it's not that bad yeah it's i think it's playable and i put it in the deck not because i want to play it i put it in the deck because i want to show that you can play it it's like this is not not not, not every card in the skeletons is there because I think it's the best thing that you should be doing there, but it's a thing that I think might be overlooked that can be done in this particular archetype. And and you will always get over the edge. Like, there is no draft. Oh, for sure. Unless there's zero copies open, uh, you should be able to get one copy of it. I'm interested about this card, how it's going to work, but I think that it's... Um, 
it's a decent decent way of, of, of controlling the board through that and then g- gaining the value. You have so much mana that you will be able to, to, uh, to do it. And maybe you can even explore back to it when, when you have uh, enough mana and you have like Seeker of Sunlight on the board, you can just quickly get back to it and replay it and start the process again. I don't know how possible this deck is going to be because again, problem that it has is that cards that are good for explore are going to be Contested, like the Axjaw, like the uh, Herald Scout, River Herald Scout. Um, so you might have a problem with getting those. So one, one challenge with the net is that in this deck, we don't really have a ton of artifacts. So we're not really going to be drawing a lot from the backside, right? Mm, that's true. But like the front side is also just good in, in this kind of deck. So... You might need to put more uh, artifacts in general, or things that make artifacts. You get only a couple of maps, and um, that might be a problem for the deck. You're right. If you put more of the uh, compass gnomes or something, if you are deeper into caves, you probably should also be able to get them. <laughs> right. What do we have? Rust. Zach, are you happy to show your uh, Boros? Oh, I mean, my Boros is just like, honestly, it's not even the Discover. It's just a, it's an aggro deck, which I put together very quickly. So it might not be the best version of Boros, but we can definitely take a look. Don't worry, we can show yours and then, then go to a good one. <laughs> so this curve, I also think, is maybe a little suspect. But um, we have just Boros guys, and I, I don't really see this as a Discover deck. I did put the Daring Discovery because I think this will just end games sometimes. Like, you know, you make things, creatures not block. You hope to, like, hit something proactive off of the Discover. Um, I think this is the, the deck for it. But then they're at, you're, you're doing artifact things. Probably could use some more volatile uh, Wonder Grips because this is another good deck for it. But you just have aggressive guys who want a certain density of artifacts for some of your artifact payoffs. And your discover isn't really any named theme. Like there's that like whenever you discover, discover again or whatever card, which is I think probably just gonna be a four mana three three that you don't really wanna play. Um discover is just good and uh you're not gonna probably get a ton of it. So, you know, be happy with what you get. Um but yeah, that that's how I built this deck as a uh uh artifact semi go wide, semi artifact deck uh that's trying to punch through. Yeah, mine's pretty similar to this. It, it leans, uh, I guess the card's actually pretty similar. I have double Tomb Raider, and I do try and do maybe a little more artifact stuff, but yeah, it looks pretty similar to yours. I did the War Scribe rather than the Daring Discovery. But yeah, I mean, either one of those can probably end the game. Yeah, yours is Hazardous Blasting, and I guess mine is Trumpet Horning, but yeah, pretty similar. Yeah, neither of you is... Oh, no, okay, you have a toad. Uh, Adam doesn't have a toad. I think that there's going to be a toad, white-red, and there's going to be maybe a non-toad. And the toad one is going to lean heavier into this tap to things to get an effect. Sure. Toad is just... Yeah, no, my, my, mine should have a toad. I had I had forgotten about the toad when I when I made this. But yeah, toad makes sense when you have the... the um, Gold Uncommon and the Tomb Raider... Also, hot foot, 
Hotfoot Gnome, which I don't think is a very good card, but it is good with the Uncommon. Because the Uncommon needs to attack in order to give you the payoff. But yeah. Hotfoot Gnome can, like, tap, give something haste. So notably, this Gold Uncommon is very good if it can get haste. Possibly. Um, you also, you know, I think that um, one thing that uh, the uh, Sunborn has is that you can use it to your advantage. If you're attacking with it, you know that the opponent is going to block. They're going to just chuck anything on that. You're going to get your value. So it sort of makes any combat trick, any instant removal uh, much better because you can basically blow them out and you can use what is the weakness of the card to your advantage uh, by, uh, by, by, by being prepared for that. Or, yeah, again, even you have it. The mischievous pop, you just do activate your discovery Get it back, replay it, whatever, uh, repeat. It's a bit slow, but um, you get uh, a lot of value through that. Would you play the one in a white that can give... Is that one that gives indestructible to your creature, or is it hexproof? No, it's just hexproof. It's just hexproof. Hex oh, never, never mind then. <laughs> you mean the plus But, you know, you, you, you know, the plus two plus, oh, plus two plus two trample, the plus two plus oh first strike, there is an aura that does it on instant speed. That that's going to be excellent with the yep. uh, uh, with the sandboard, and I think I can make it into a sort of like a, a mini plan when uh, you're just going to bamboozle your opponent and force them to do something that they really don't want to, and they will be. It's this sort of like ninjutsu uh, from Kamigani on Dynasty when you're damned if you do, damned if you don't um, uh, situation, which is always a good thing to be in uh, when you're deciding what's happening. You do it on your turn also, so most likely your opponent is tapped out and also there's no removal in this format. Is that 3-drop the one that taps a creature if you pay 3 mana? I can't tell. I don't know the name of it. I think this is... This is oh, this that's it. That's 2-drop. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you might have been talking about that. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Yeah. This is like... This is a kind of weird thing, because like, this is probably the most... Ag- oh, this is going to be the most aggressive uh, white deck, right? And I'm not sure if this, you know, some of these, like, when you attack white cards, have homes otherwise. Like, it may be in Selesnia, an aggressive Selesnia deck. Um, you certainly don't want multiples of these, because, you know, how much mana are you going to have to tap? We've seen that before. Uh, like, in this kind of deck, you will find spots where this uh, bear will be pretty good. They should have just given us Territorial Hammer Skull, and it would have all been okay. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, nobody got upset about that being reprinted. Uh. Right, uh, that's it. We did. We did the thing. We did the um, all the skeletons. So, Kat, thank you very much for being here. Um, hope you uh, found something interesting. I hope that you found a lot of things that you disagree with, because that's the whole point of it. No. <laughs> uh, we definitely don't agree on anything. Everything that we did, including our own stuff. <laughs> in many cases, um, because sure, we still didn't have the cards in our well. hand. I just defer to Jason. If if Jason contradicts yeah. me, I'll be like, "Well, I'm wrong." So I'll just let it go. Right about everything. I, I, I you know, yeah. I remember vividly. I vividly, I remember one time he was wrong. They were wrong. One time. Do you have the example? No well, what's the receipt, circuit? I don't remember now. <laughs> I, vividly, with... I vividly remember, uh, but I can't recall. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm trying. I'm trying. Yep. Yeah. Um, most of the time, they were absolutely bang on. Uh, 
I think sometimes uh, sometimes Jason is too much uh, in awe of multicolor strategies. They are not always good in every single form. I, I, hey, I, like I said, I don't think that splashing is particularly good in the set. I think the set is a two minus color set. So, yeah, yeah. that's true. That's so, uh, I can't wait to see the tweets of all of the sick multicolor brews. Oh yeah. I mean, if someone makes a sick multicolor brew, I'm only happy for uh, for them. That's. Uh, that's going to be happening definitely. But uh, I'm planning to at least go hard on two-color synergies uh, initially unless I will have some caves and I will lose a lot of gems through that. Right. Well, thanks for watching. Uh, any of you has something to plug, pitch? You're going to be doing something that is going to be amazingly interesting. Adam? Um, I don't think that I do, no. I'm just going to do the usual thing. <laughs> Nothing super crazy. Zaki? Well, I, I got some stuff to plug. I mean, I have a, a podcast called I Love You Mana. It's on, like, all platforms. It's not super magic forward, but if you want, like, a, a, a fun uh, a group of uh, friends mostly making fun of each other and me, uh, it's a pretty good listen. Uh, so check it out. Uh, the other thing is that if you're in Minneapolis, uh, I do a collab with uh, Sisyphus Brewing, which is a brewery out here. We do uh, monthly drafts, which are super capital brewery drafts. They're the second Wednesday every month uh, by the Sculpture Garden at Sisyphus Brewing, 6 p.m. Uh, and it's always the second uh, Wednesday of the month, which will be next week. And so we're doing Chaos, and then the next month will be, of course, Lost Caverns. So, hey, if you're you know in the med- Midwest, if you're local... Come check us out. I'm going to bring the, the mocks to, to gloat. So if this is your opportunity to mug me and uh, steal my one piece of power. Uh, and I guess if you're also in Minneapolis, uh, I'm hosting a comedy corner on the 24th and 25th if you don't have Thanksgiving plans. So those are my plugs. There you heard it. Jason, when are the uh, articles coming? Uh, uh, hopefully this Friday. Um, but yeah, uh, I'll also be like streaming the set. Oh, I'm doing a set review on Tuesday also with uh, Julie Hellman. Yeah. Now there's going to be a plethora of set reviews. So that's going to be interesting uh, in its own right. Wait a second. I, uh, is anyone here doing early access on like it's this coming Thursday, right? I'm not invited, no. Oh, I, I actually am doing it this, this time. I, I should have mentioned that. I will actually, I, we, we can talk offline, but. Yeah, I'll just ping you offline, Erko. Yeah, and Jason and Zach. Yeah. All right, and I will be doing not much. So um, uh, probably figuring out the magic numbers with uh, with some bits and pieces from this one. But I'm going to put this thing on YouTube uh, next couple of days when I find energy. Oh, tomorrow I'm doing actually a cool stuff, but no one is invited because it's in Cornwall and no one no one lives next to Cornwall. But uh, I I. I'm lecturing at the university and um, I'm uh, lecturing uh, for some weird reason, project management. <laughs> and tomorrow I'm having a guest lecture from Michael Majors to, who will be talking about project management and magic gathering. He's the, one of the lead designers of, uh, of Watsi. So that's going to wow. be an interesting one. Awesome. Uh, and is that coming up on YouTube? No, it's not. It's going to be for the students, which okay. is 
Exactly. You have to enroll. It's a, it's a little higher Patreon tier. You need to enroll it is a very, the University of Cornwall. 9,000 9, uh, pounds a year uh, uh, sort of Patreon. So, you know, if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it because it's going to be cool to listen about the set design and project management in Magic. Uh, and hopefully I can convince a couple of students to come to the FNM. Um, right. But uh, with that, Thanks for listening. Thanks for the people in the chat who contributed, even though we ignore them thoroughly most of the time. But that's because with four people, it's very hard to also participate in chatting with the chat. Um, thanks for my patrons for helping me run this thing and keep my wife at bay uh, from complaining that I'm spending way too much time on magic. It doesn't have 100% success rate, so we can um, continue contributing to the patron to, uh, to keep her appeased. And thanks for uh, MTJ Zone for sponsoring me. And with that, I'll see you next week.